0: hey i'm sam and i'm lizzie and we're queer people who love movies this is subtextual
1: hi
0: lizzie hi sam happy halloween happy halloween if you're listening to this on halloween wow i hope you're having a great day i hope you are up to the gills and candy you are spooked you've watched your favorite scary movie this weekend you're in your costume there's a pumpkin near you exactly if you're watching this after halloween we hope that you are not hungover. (laughs) if you are we hope that you have a gatorade somewhere near you yes absolutely gosh lizzie i'm i feel so spoiled i've been doing like my favorite most favorite movies recently
2: yeah you've really got wait scooby-doo is one of your most favorite movies And what if it is? It definitely is. I love that movie. No, you've really got some bangers. This is a movie we have been waiting to talk about.
0: Absolutely waiting so long. I mean, is it safe to say that this movie really inspired us to do this podcast?
2: No, absolutely. This was probably the one that we had the most discussions about that really did lead us to doing subtextual because no matter how many times we've seen it together, we always have more to say.
0: There's so much to say. I'm sure once we're done recording this, I'm going to get home and be like, fuck, I didn't say this thing or I oh, absolutely. said this thing, you know?
2: Yeah, we're going to have to do like an amendment episode or something because there's no way we can talk about it all,
0: even with an extravaganza. Yes. So this is our first extravaganza, as Lizzie was saying, but basically – This episode means a whole lot to us. This movie means a whole lot to us. And we know that it means a whole lot to you, listener, and and all of our friends, really. So we just wanted to bring the family around and get input from a lot of friends of the pod. So you'll be hearing some audio responses sprinkled throughout this episode of just really incredible folks that we love who uh, feel strongly about this film. So can't wait for you to hear that. And um, yeah, I can't wait to get started. Let's go.
2: Well, first thing on the docket... If you are a Patreon supporter, thank you so much. If you are just a listener and this is your first episode, thank you so much. If you've listened to 20, 10, two episodes, we really appreciate anyone who's put their ears on this. And also, I just want to give a shout out to our producer, Lee Garcia. Yes, sir. We would not be doing this without him. We did an f- episode last week, record without him, and it was literally <laughs> the worst. <laughs>
0: Lee, we missed you. We thank did. You. you were missed.
3: Glad to be back. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. We were just fumbling around with cables, like crying. I got home and like the video footage had no audio <laughs> at all. And I was like, oh crap. You're like, oh, I'm doing some syncing tonight. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, as Lizzie was saying, thanks so much for listening. And um, yeah, I can't wait to, to bring you guys along on our first extravaganza. And we're, Lizzie, we're getting close to a year. Yeah. No, our Anniversary, I think, is in three weeks, mm-hmm. November, mid-November sometime. Mm. We'll do an anniversary episode, I'm sure. Yeah, so look forward to that. But, okay, getting back to Jennifer's body, Lizzie, do you remember, like, the first time you saw this film?
2: So I was trying to track down that memory. I definitely did not see it when it came out because I was a little chicken. Um, I still am, but <laughs> I'm getting better. But the earliest memory I, I do have of watching it is with you, Really? In the Womansion, which is a house we used to live in with like seven other people. That house was huge, uh, hence the Womansion. And I remember it's one of those movies where I really kicked myself for not having seen it sooner. I've probably seen it like 10 times, but every time I watch it, I get something new. There's like a joke that hits harder. There's an image that I just love and, and I always appreciate the cast
0: performances more and more.
2: So no, I don't remember the first time, but I remember the 12th. (laughs) That was this morning and I still enjoy this movie.
0: Yeah. I was talking to Lee before we started rolling about every time I see this film, I notice something new, like you're saying. And also it is kind of like a beautiful little time capsule from when it was released. It almost at the time of its release, it sounded like too too much slang. Oh, nobody really talks like that. But now when you go back and watch, you're like, okay, we were kind of stupid. <laughs>
2: no, we looked and acted just like this. Dressed just like it.
0: Absolutely. The music is the music we listened to. I'm so glad you brought up the music because this is one of the best soundtracks ever. And so we're going to be incorporating a lot of the songs from the soundtrack into this episode today. But as you were saying, like, Teenagers would listen to this music. This is the music I was listening to.
2: Absolutely. These are the the style in this film was the style I wanted to be like. The boys in this film were the boys I wanted to kiss. The girls in this film were the girls I wanted to kiss. It was a very important moment for me. So did you see it like when it came
0: out? Yeah, I... I've been a fangirl for this movie before it was even released. I got the leaked script off Tumblr. (laughs) No. Yes, I did. Get out. And I read it on my iPod Touch. Shut up. Like like I would just lay around and like reread it because I was really into Diablo Cody. And yeah, I I was super obsessed, super pumped for it to come out. I think I was like 13. Mm -hmm. And so I snuck in to see it at the at the regal cinema down the street i bought a ticket probably for like water horse or something (laughs) (laughs) and then snuck in and saw it and oh god i was obsessed from the minute it started and even though i knew what they were gonna say because i'd read the script a million times it just it's so much better in real life so yeah I, i fucking love this movie absolutely I, I hate to say rich text. Is, do I say it too much? <laughs> you like to choose films that are a rich text.
2: So I think it, it's just your type. You know, you talked about my type being sad, like Skeleton
0: Twins. Yours is a rich text. Yes. I And this this movie is one of those folks. So a little bit about the production. It was directed by Karen Kusama, I think, who did an incredible job. Um, known before this for her 2000 film Girl Fight which was nominated for the Independent Spirit Awards Best Feature. That was her first feature. Wow. So incredible job. She went on to direct Aeon Flux and one episode of The L Word <laughs> and then a film in 2018 starring Nicole Kidman called Destroyer. Have you seen that film?
2: I haven't, but I want to because it's like one of those, you know, how um, Kate Winslet had her like mayor of Town moment where she got to put on like manly pants and be all butch and stuff like this to me it was like Nicole
0: Kidman's chance to do that
4: yeah Charlize um, that monster yes
0: yeah no I haven't seen it but I would like to yeah we should we should check it out together I heard I've heard good things mm-hmm. In two thousand and seven, Karen agreed to direct the film after reading the script, saying, It just knocked me out. It feels like a fairy tale gone psycho.
2: Absolutely.
0: I think is a very good read of the situation. I would jump on this
2: movie to do anything, like craft services,
0: yes, props, whatever. Oh, for sure. So it was the script was written by Diablo Cody, which you you guys likely know, um, her dialogue is hard to miss Mm -hmm. and it's really clockable i think aaron sorkin you know you could always tell when something's written by aaron sorkin you could always tell when something's written by diablo cody absolutely but she got started in writing kind of in an unconventional way so in 2003 she started an adult blog called the pussy ranch detailing her journey into amateur stripping (gasps) get out yeah Pussy Ranch? Is it still live? Is the website still up? I don't know if the website's still up, but it got so much attention that she actually turned it into a memoir no called way. Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper. I really want to read that. I'm, <laughs> I'm adding, to adding to it to my...
2: Day. I'm <laughs> going to go to the Pussy Ranch.
0: I'm putting that in my thrift books cart right now. Oh, absolutely. I would definitely be stealing that from you. Um, but two years later... After the success of her memoir, Cody was um, encouraged to start writing scripts and wrote Juno in 2007. Hell yeah. Which earned her an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay.
2: It won an Academy
0: Award? It did. Fantastic. I'm so glad. It so well-deserved. But-
2: for that that was her first script yes i can only imagine that the pressure coming off of your first script winning an academy award is probably monumental was this the next film she did jennifer's body or yeah, this was the Oh no
0: shit this was the next film incredible um she also like she took a couple of years and then um started united states of terra oh yeah you love that show i fucking <laughs> love that show it's incredible like Steven Spielberg, executive producer, Diablo Cody, executive producer, Tony Collette, Mm -hmm. who I love. We know.
2: (laughs) Have I said that a little too much? I didn't mean for that to sound
0: so salty. I meant to say like, yeah, we know. I'm just like a (laughs) robot that's like, rich text, Tony Collette, rich text. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that show. It only lasted two years and I think it ended too quick, but you know, whatever. But, yeah, I think I read somewhere that she only took, like, a couple of weeks before writing Jennifer's body from Juno. Huh. So She it was, was on a roll. She was on a roll. And I like you're saying, the pressure is really tough, especially when you write something as, like, iconic as Juno because you're, right. you're afraid, like, should I write something similar and then be that person forever? Right. So this was a huge departure, and she said she kind of just did it for fun.
2: I mean, I think doing a horror
0: for your second
2: feature is pretty smart because... The one thing I do know about horror is that they are kind of easy to get made because there's such a built-in audience for it. I don't know if that like plays in at all to like why she wanted to do a horror film. And obviously this movie feels so much more than a horror film in a lot of ways. But I think it was smart for her to kind of go darker after something like Juno.
0: Yeah, I think it does kind of relieve the pressure of it because you're like, if it seems different, that's fine. I don't have to just keep doing the same note or hitting, you know, doing what people expect me to do. So after United States of Terra, she wrote Young Adult and Tully, uh, both starring Charlize Theron. I've seen Young Adult. It's quite good. Uh, I have not seen Tully yet.
2: Tully is great. Actually, Tully is something I would consider doing on the pod because it's vaguely bi. Not vaguely, straight up bi. (laughs) Um, It's an interesting movie. It definitely feels more like in the Juno universe than the Jennifer's Body universe. but.
0: I mean, Charlize Theron is always a joy to watch. I love Charlize doing comedy because she has such a dry, uh, just a dry delivery. It, it really matched with Young Adult very well. Cody would eventually earn a Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical for a Jagged Little Pill in 2020. Did you know she wrote that? I did not, but I'm dying to see that musical. I know. Oh, God. So, yeah, that that's the Alanis Morissette musical. And... So she's very close to an EGOT. Yeah. She what does she start singing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> she just needs her Grammy. Yeah. Maybe she could write a song for Beyonce or something. Yeah. Does that get you a Grammy? You, If you get, yeah, songwriting credit, I think. Right? Yeah. Like if Beyonce's album wins a Grammy, like does the producer of the album also get a Grammy? I would assume so.
0: Yeah, I think so. Well, that's it. That's We're getting that's her, her an EGOT. We are getting her an EGOT. So when she was writing Jennifer's Body, Cody said that she wanted to write a story about the horrors of puberty and womanhood, saying horror has always had kind of a feminist angle to it in a weird way. And at the same time, it's kind of delightfully exploitative. Absolutely. Which I couldn't agree more. And um, she continued to say, we wanted to subvert the classic horror model of a woman being terrorized. I want to write roles that service women. I want to tell stories from a female perspective. I want to create good parts for actresses where they're not just accessories to men.
2: Cheers to that. Cheers to Diablo Cody. i that, brother. <laughs> she, <laughs> she's doing it. She, more people need to be doing what she's doing. Okay, is Diablo Cody her real name? It is not. <gasps>
0: I'm really glad you asked me that. What's her real name? Her real name is Brooke. Brooke Cody. Well, she, you know, was in a period of inventing herself, so to speak. I live. So she was, I think she was listening to a song by like something with the name Cody in it. And she was in uh, El Diablo. I don't know. There was, there was words and she was in the mood to reinvent herself and like chose those words. Um, let's but go. I'm so glad you asked me that because that will come in handy later. Oh, cool. So let's get into the extravaganza bit as we're talking about, you know, how, incredible Diablo did, subverting this genre and the misogyny that's usually imbued in that, I would like you to hear this response from one of our very good friends, my partner, Peyton.
4: (gasps) Let's go. I'm Peyton, and I'm betrothed in a very gay way to your co-host, Sam. Okay, so the gayest thing about this film is that this film turns
2: heteronormativity on its head. I mean, in this film, men are the victims, which is really unheard of, especially in the genre of horror. And
5: secondly, the literal slaughtering of the men that would objectify Jennifer is, I think, a very literal rejection of, like, forced heteronormativity that a lot of
0: young girls feel or experience.
2: Sam, you know what this means, right? What? We have to get
0: Peyton on the podcast right now i've i've asked her if she'd want to do it and she's always like no and she is so much smarter than us she's so much smarter she she is so fucking smart sometimes i get embarrassed because i (laughs) i think of this i have a really embarrassing story it's so unrelated but When people are like, what's the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you? I remember once I was like, you know what story you're telling? What a treat. Uh, Okay. Lizzie knows the story because it's really (laughs) fucking, it's embarrassing to note. Like no one else would think this is embarrassing. But when I think back, I cringe. But I was like eating lunch next to someone at work who I didn't know very well. And I was eating a pickle and I was like, wow, I wish they could dehydrate pickles. But I guess they're too, they have too much water in them. And the person didn't respond to me, so I just kept going. Why not? And I said, "Like, what if you dehydrated a grape?" <laughs> <laughs> and they said, "Like a raisin." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, God. And, oh, and my
0: partner is a, an attorney and is very intelligent. <laughs> so, and I'm over here like Ew. So, Have you heard
2: of a raven babe?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all were a made in
2: heaven. Okay. Peyton, thank you so much for your thoughtful response. I, you really
0: nailed that. Not a single word out of place. Thank you so much, Peyton. I don't think I could cross the street if you were not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, the script is phenomenal. This movie would be nothing without the script. Also, Diablo Cody was really protective of the actresses. Uh, of course, Megan Fox was in a difficult point in her career in this moment. So, like, I know Megan Fox from Hope and Faith, a sitcom that like ran on like ABC in two thousand. Never even heard that it's Kelly Rippa it's like oh my god it's about two sisters who are like couldn't be more dissimilar and like one of them has a daughter and that daughter is played by Megan Fox. What's like her character
2: on that? Is it like the kind of like high school hot girl or just like ABC high school hot girl high school hot girl?
0: I was a fan of her on that show because I was a little gay lesbian and in 2007 though she rose to like humongous fame with Transformers that's how I know her.
2: <laughs> Dude, that movie really fucking got me the one two punch because Shia LaBeouf, who's a fucking asshole, but at the time I was very enamored with. And then Megan Fox, like, there's no way, there's no safe place for me to look. Everywhere you look, as like, a lustful bisexual teenager. Exactly.
0: And they tried to make the car sexy in that movie, too. They were really trying, everything was sexy.
2: Every, uh, the sexy lighting. That's Michael Bay, right? Yeah. Michael Bay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a shame. So, um, Unfortunately, as like Megan Fox's star rose, so did like terrible publicity surrounding her. I know she got the Lindsay Lohan treatment a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm -hmm. where like these beautiful women
2: who get put in these roles and positions to be like sex objects, like can't take a fucking step out their front door without someone drooling over them or, or them being misunderstood or like their words skewed. I just want to put it out there. She's going to like say something awful in like a year and get totally canceled. And this is not going to, this is going to haunt me. But I'm a Megan Fox. I'm on her side, 100% on her side.
0: Hey, if her drinking MGK's blood hasn't soured it for you, then I think you're probably good. Her choice. <laughs> you know, I have nothing against the vampire lifestyle. No, it's like unrelated. But when Anxalia Banks says that she sacrifices chickens, I'm like, mm
4: Okay.
2: <laughs> we eat chicken nuggets. That is sacrificing chickens with no purpose but food. If you're doing it with
0: intention. Yeah. Hell yeah. I don't make any good tracks after <laughs> eating McNuggets. No. So yeah. I could, could do whatever she wants. Honestly. Um, so... In 2019, Diablo Cody and Megan Fox were reunited for a discussion after the huge resurgence of popularity for Jennifer's body. And there's a moment in that conversation where Megan Fox describes like how her treatment in Hollywood was not dissimilar to what Jennifer was going through. Yeah, the character
2: of Jennifer herself. mm -hmm.
0: So I'm going to show you that clip now. So this is Megan Fox responding to Diablo Cody's question of how she was treated after the critical flop of the release of Jennifer's body.
4: It was expected, I guess I would say, because I had such a fraught relationship just with the public and with the media and with journalists. And I was struggling so much at that time in general that this didn't stand out as like a particularly painful moment. It just was a part of the mix. You must have been taken aback by like how sexualized I was and how I was like reduced to... I mean, objectified is like, it's not the right word. It doesn't capture what was happening to me at the time. Yeah. But it wasn't just with that movie. It was with every producer I worked with. And so I had, I just went through a very dark moment after that. We must have been going through it at the same time and we didn't know. (laughs) It wasn't because of this in particular, but this added to it, of course. You know, I was sort of out in front of the Me Too movement before the Me Too movement happened. Like I was speaking out and saying, you know, hey, these things are happening to me and they're not okay. And everyone was like, "Oh." You, we don't care. You deserve it because of how oh, yeah. you talk, because of how you look, because of how you dress, because of the jokes you make.
6: That's why you haven't really heard a lot from me on that subject, even though I have a lot to say. Yeah. Because to be honest, I'm still terrified people will say, well, she was a stripper. Right. We don't really care what she, like, does she really have a right to talk about being sexually objectified or, right. or having been put through sh- in Hollywood? Because mm-hmm. like she, you know, made that choice for herself yeah. and it's, her story is not valid.
4: You know, we live in this moment right now where you you believe victims, but if there's ever going to be one person that it was okay not to believe, it would be me. If it's ever going to be okay to shame a victim, it's going to be me. That's yeah. just the belief because of what I've been through.
0: Yeah, Lizzie. So, what did you think of that
2: clip? I think so. If anyone has seen Jennifer's body, they probably know the story about how it was not commercially successful when it came out. It was horribly mismarketed, and I think a lot of that has to do with directly with megan fox and her being the lead cast and how the public saw her as this insane sex figure she's such a complicated figure and i don't even think to this day we've gotten like a full grasp of megan fox as a person because i think people who have like a sexual image are not listened to they're seen but they're not heard and diablo cody's perspective on being like, well, I came out, I wrote a book about being a stripper. And I was always waiting for someone to say, like, well, you put yourself out there to be sexualized. How can you now come out and say what sounds like the inverse of that is like, hey, these people sexualized me in a way that wasn't uh, appropriate.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's it's this double standard when it comes to sexuality and women's Image. It makes me really, really, really sad.
0: If you think of any like any era, there is a sexual figure who is completely objectified, is completely disposable, and we expect them to be entirely grateful Mm -hmm. and not dislike any of the treatment that is imposed upon them. Megan Fox being being one of of this moment. I mean, I think public publicity-wise, anything that she did was completely spun out of control. She mentions like this point it, around jennifer's body like something happened to her she doesn't say what like in the in the public eye and i think you know I'm, I'm remembering like five different things that she was roasted for like i think she was at comic-con and someone wanted to give her she was being hounded by paparazzi and a young boy went to give her a rose she didn't see him but because she was running because there's flashes all over her face and so the the tabloid headline was like megan fox doesn't give a shit about fans yeah you know, because that picture, how bad does that look? Someone's trying to give you something yeah. and you're running away. But like, if you take a different perspective of that photo, she's being chased by a bunch yeah. of people. So uh, she couldn't do anything right in the eyes of the public at this point. And I'm not surprised she had a full mental breakdown. And if you realize after this, like she doesn't star in things. Yeah. And I mean, it took her a long time to come back and to feel good about it.
2: Yeah. I think it's interesting that she took this role and maybe like you know, working under the helm of women maybe is what encouraged her to take it, having Diablo Cody and Karen Kazama be at the helm of Jennifer's body. But, like, it was a way for her to, like, technically inhabit the role that she'd been put in, but also, like, put that spin on it, Hmm. like, that she needed to to be like, look, like, you're seeing me as this thing, well, here's a subversion of it. It makes me think of, I remember the exact moment that I liked Lady Gaga because when Lady Gaga first started coming out with music I won't lie like I was like what the fuck is this like she is too much she's wearing like meat dresses on the red carpet blah blah blah." and then I a year or so after she started making music heard this interview where she was like yeah I mean the producers and everyone on the red carpet wants me to be sexy and this sex icon and like I give that to them but I give that to them in my own way like yeah. I will push it so far that it's like borderline disgusting. Mm -hmm. And that made it click for me. I was like, you have to conform yourself to reach that level of fame that you think that you want. And very few artists I think have been able to do it in the way that they feel like they're in control of it.
0: Yeah. And being an actress, it's almost impossible to control a narrative when you're playing a character that's written by someone else, you know, and I think like you're saying, Maybe Megan Fox was like, oh, this will be a great way to tongue in chink, wink at the camera saying, I know what you see me as. And this is a subversion of that. But you mentioned like the mismarketing and Dude. how poorly it was handled. That played a huge factor in how big this flopped. Absolutely. Uh, incredibly so. I mean, now we, a lot of people hold this film very near and dear to their heart. But as Lizzie was saying, it was a complete commercial failure and we'll discuss you know all the mm-hmm. the budgetary stuff of that later but it was due to the mismarketing that was centered solely around young straight men
2: yeah and the hotness of Jennifer's body even though that has nothing to really
0: do with what is happening in the plot and the central characters and everything. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, Kerrigan and Kasama revealed later that the marketing execs were not hearing a word of reason, completely just blocked out anything that Kasama or Cody had to say about the marketing. Kasama said, I kept sort of reminding everybody guys, we can't market this movie to boys. And then have them go to the theater expecting one thing, and then seeing Megan Fox not really take her clothes off, but rip a guy's intestines out and eat them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I would like to know what the like young men who were fooled by the poster of this film thought. Like while they were in the theater, they were probably so uncomfortable, and that makes me fucking
0: giggle. I'm so glad you want to know that perspective because <laughs> I have another guest for us today. Oh, one of my closest friends named Peyton Tyree. There's two Peyton's in my life. This might get confusing. <laughs> (laughs) um but here's what he has to say about why it took him so long to see this movie
5: hey i'm peyton i am a cishet ally and friend of the podcast fan of the podcast and huge fan of jennifer's body the first time that i saw jennifer's body was just a few months ago i was pretty late to the party um because i didn't know I didn't and nobody was around to tell me like hey you got to watch this this shit is amazing uh all I had were the like trailers and the marketing that came out like when the movie was released and frankly they didn't sell it very well it looked like a, a shitty B horror it looked like another film with a bunch of horny teenagers that had to die um And so when I saw that it was released or like featured on the Criterion channel a few months ago, I I, I saw that and immediately I had to jump on it. I I had to know how this movie that I had wrongly assumed was just kind of like shitty (laughs) got onto this like premiere film streaming service. And, uh, I was astonished to find like just how good it was, uh, when, when I did see it, like, uh, performances, soundtrack, uh, like the, the substance of the script, how punchy the dialogue is all the way through. It was just like a true delight. And, uh, I feel like, uh, I've been reborn. Uh, I've come out the other end of Devil's Kettle,
0: He's so sweet. (laughs) He is a cherub. I love this man. Uh, He's fantastic. And um, he had such a blast watching Jennifer's body because he was like live texting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, what would have compelled him to see that when it was released in 2009? Even though it was marketed straight to him, he decided he didn't want to see it. And that has a huge, huge factor in, in to why this movie like quote unquote flopped but also if you think about it the critic demographic Mm -hmm. is all white men old white men at that yes you know that's also going to play a huge factor and if you mislead someone and they come to the movie expecting one thing like karen kasama was saying they're going to be disappointed regardless of how good the film actually is
2: absolutely well because they're going in expecting one film and getting something that is a rare gem in the horror genre and. I love that he brought up that Jennifer's body is in the Criterion collection because I have a Criterion collection subscription. That makes me a <laughs> film lover. Um, but seriously, the day that I saw it
0: on Lizzie streaming, I fucking phone.
2: texted everyone. I was like, you guys, this is serious. Like our Lord and Savior, Jennifer's body is being recognized in a way that it means something to me, but also probably means something to cinema at large and to hear him say that is really validating because and also probably feels really validating to Diablo Cody and everybody that like okay we're being recognized as like we made a film we didn't make a b-horror movie like Mm -hmm. we put thought into this and craft into this and yes it's funny and bloody but it's a fucking film with something to say absolutely so without further ado
0: let's get
4: into it
2: god I bet you the trailer is shard ass I've never watched the trailer. It's
4: bad, dude. <laughs> Chip is looking really cute to me lately. How is he tasting these days? You are never a good friend. You could have anybody that you want. Why, Chip? <laughs> You're killing people. No, I'm
1: killing boys. i scared.
4: I you only murdered boys. I go both ways
2: so funny to hear those moments taking taken out of the context and the tone that they're portrayed
0: it honestly drives me up the wall i just showed Lissy the trailer and it couldn't be further removed from how the movie actually is there's not a single joke The even like the funny things that are being said in the trailer are so downplayed with like a somber tone deadpan yeah. and it's also like queer baiting for the male gaze yeah that oh my god these two hot people are gonna kiss i'm surprised they didn't show the scene where they were kissing i don't think you can show certain things like that in trailers
2: oh they would have fucking botched the shit out of that too oh, absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> <Let's boost>. i've <sighs> never watched the trailer before my blood is boiling it's crazy how
0: if you hate that just wait (laughs) you're gonna love this so this is a synopsis taken from rotten tomatoes oh god god help me fuck everyone on rotten tomatoes anyway continue when a demon takes possession of her high school hottie jennifer turns a hungry eye on guys who never stood a chance with her before oh would you say that that's this movie (laughs) like one tenth of the movie that's like one scene. And <laughs> yes.
2: fucking on Paramount Plus, where I watched this movie today, like the synopsis starts with high school cheerleader, Jennifer, blah, blah, blah. I was like,
3: that. Ugh. I just wanted to say before watching, I watched it for the first time for this podcast. I've seen yes, it a couple Lee. times. Spreading since.
0: the good word of Jennifer's body. <laughs> Yes,
3: I... I never knew that Amanda Seyfried was in this movie. because right. <laughs> it's but she's so good. I love Amanda Seyfried too, and like I think maybe this is why because it's so marketed as like this is a movie about the cheerleader Jennifer. Yeah, which I mean it kind of is, but Amanda Seyfried's like the main character, right?
0: Absolutely, she's yeah, the, she's the protagonist. And they did they she says one line in the trailer. Uh, but she wears clothes the whole time so we, we don't give a show fuck about her yeah. apparently because she wears appropriately sized clothing uh it's such god it's could so you imagine working
2: on this movie and seeing this trailer and then hearing these reviews and just being so disappointed yeah and and for amanda and megan to both give a fucking hell of a performance and to see it portrayed like this would be so disheartening for two people who are trying to like actually do something with
0: their careers I, I would be so annoyed. I mean, they both remarked that they like consider this their favorite film, like separately on different occasions. Oh
2: my, I'm going to cry. It's beautiful.
0: <laughs> we got to the movie, Lizzie's crying. <laughs> no, but I think, you know, you kind of have to remove yourself, especially as an actress. Like I was saying, you have no agency. So you kind of let Jesus take the wheel and you know what you were doing. And I guess it doesn't matter yeah. how people feel about it. But now that it's coming back around, I'm sure that there is like a, it is affirming. Again, to know that people actually took it for what it was meant to be taken for,
2: I really hope so. I hope that they know that it found their audience and their audience is
0: die hard, so die hard. Oh my God, Lizzie, are you ready to get into the plot? oh my god, I fucking I'm ecstatic <laughs> let's see I've never been more excited. Well, Lizzie and I just start like round table reading the script because I know these words like front to back there's Ah, uh, so many juicy lines. So many huh. great one-liners. I also had, I've read the script again. Uh, you know, I read it as a teenager a million times. I read it again for this episode. And there is a lot more subtext in the script that didn't make it onto screen. So we'll talk about that as well.
2: Which is incredible because this movie is astounding.
0: That's queer. So queer. So queer. So when I get to those parts, I'll let you know, and we'll read um, how Diablo Cody intended some things to go that didn't go that way. But we start off in a mental institution, and we see Needy, who's played by Amanda Seyfried. Needy is a kicker, uh, and she has some <laughs> anger issues, and is quickly taken to solitary confinement where she begins to tell us this tale of Jennifer's body.
3: When Needy kicks that orderly, like that for me was, I instantly attached to the tone of the movie because they draw it out and like the orderly like spits out blood so yeah, it's kind yeah. of graphic it's a way too over the top but i loved it
2: hell is a teenage girl hell is a teenage girl <laughs> and, and that's, that's fucking true. opening line i got chill bumps <laughs> this last time i was like you guys let's go <laughs> <That's fucking dumb. laughs>
0: All right, so we are transported to two months ago, and a lot has changed. (laughs) (laughs) And we see Amanda Seyfried as Needy, uh, Megan Fox as Jennifer Check, and Johnny Simmons as poor Chip. um, Poor Chip. (laughs) uh, And we get the line, we were our yearbook pictures, and they all look very happy in high school. Jennifer Check is obviously very hot and popular, Needy is more of a dork, and Chip is in band need i say more and she says needy says people found it hard to believe that a babe like jennifer would associate herself with a dork like me but sandbox love never dies and gay yeah right off the fucking back come on they're in love and the way they're looking at each other
3: and they're like like smiling
0: gay. and we get a a character saying you're totally lesbian that is not in the original script in the original script that character says you stare at her like you want to dry hump her like hump her through her pants (laughs) just as gay
2: just another take oh that was actually a question i had did they do any improv on set or was it like pretty strict to the script
0: i don't think there was any improv and i imagine it's probably difficult to improv in the voice of diablo cody true it's zingy it's very zesty it's very specific so yeah no improv that i could i could see Okay, at Needy's locker, Jennifer tells Needy that they have to go see a band called Low Shoulder. Uh, in the script, they're called Soft Shoulder, but I appreciate this change. I think yeah. low, low Shoulder sounds a little more Panic at the Disco for Absolutely. me. Absolutely, it's yeah.
2: like every band I listened to in high school is some like obscure random object turned yeah. into a band. Cor- Yellow seat, card, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> simple plan all of it. Yeah, it doesn't take much in the year of 2009, folks. Yeah. Uh so Needy cancels her date with Chip and Jennifer says, "We're something cute, okay?" In like a really flirty way. When I read the script before I saw the movie, I was like, "We're something cute, okay?" said in yeah. normal normal tone. See, that's the thing.
2: Like if you give actors the play and you're like, "Look, Say it as if you want to fuck each other. That's what you're going to get. And like, you were <laughs> me so as used to the director. To- <laughs> me as fuck. <laughs> Say it's it like, like you someone fuck at the
0: grocery store.
2: <laughs> Say it like you want to fuck each other. That'll be 714. Paper, plastic.
0: <laughs> Everyone wants to fuck each other and it's everyone's birthday. That's the motivation I'm giving to my actors.
2: There'll be plenty of salty morsels there. Yeah. Jesus Christ. so many choice, choice one-liners. <sighs> There's going to be more line spouting in this episode than there was in She's the Man. And that is saying something. That is
0: really saying something. This is going to take the cake. Okay, so over at Needy's house. We see Needy getting ready. Chip is clearly jealous that Jennifer is taking Needy away from him. I don't think he really understands why he's jealous of Jennifer, but we do. Diablo Cody writes, basically, anytime these three people are together, the word jealous is in all of their actions. Like, jealously stands in between jealously buttons the oh. thing jealously so well, as
2: we all know conflict is the engine of a story and you might as well add that in it's just it's just good writing to like add a little bit of an edge in every single
0: scene there is why but not subtextually oh. it could be he taken knows. a lot of different ways right. yeah so when you say someone's jealous in this dynamic who are they jealous of there's there's situations where needy is jealous as well when it's between chip and Jennifer. Right. I think the straight version is she's jealous that Chip is looking at Jennifer, but is she maybe jealous in the way that I take it that Jennifer is being looked at by someone else. And also he's
2: jealous that his girlfriend would rather hang out with this hot girl mm-hmm. that she blinky hard eyes at than mm-hmm. him.
0: Yeah. They kiss for a second and he starts taking his pants off, which I think it's so funny. This character is so purely
2: vanilla in, like, the most intentional way. <laughs> you know, Johnny Simmons dated Emma Watson
0: for a very long time.
2: That makes 100% sense. <laughs> it does. Lucky
0: man. He yeah he's he had a good time around this around oh 2009. yeah he's been given
2: more than enough and he was in one of my favorite movies Scott Pilgrim versus the World
0: yes so he's, yeah. he's young what is it young uh, this is young Neil young Hi, Neil I'm young Neil. what do you play oh <laughs> uh, hard questions Zelda <laughs> we got we can cover that movie right? yeah we have to have to do Scott Pilgrim um. He says, you always do what Jennifer tells you to do. We see that they have like this weird telepathic understanding of like where each other is, like needy consents Jennifer and stuff like that.
2: You know, I got to say that was something that didn't quite register to me as heavily as this last watch for the podcast. I was like, they are connected. Mm -hmm. And almost to the point that, my brain was like after seeing hocus pocus and i think that all three of those witches are basically sides of the same woman i was like are needy and jennifer two sides of the same coin like A single woman's enigma in one,
0: constantly battling. I'm so glad you said that. I'm going to remind you of that later. Okay. We'll bring it back later. Okay. Keep that in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. So they're going to Melody Lane to see Low Shoulder as they're leaving. Chip says, stop kidnapping my girlfriend, which is not something I say to my partner's friends when she goes someplace with them because I don't have a weird jealousy thing. You're
2: (laughs) You're so green jello. You're green jello. You don't even know it.
0: <laughs> work so they get to melody lane or as chip calls it a bingo hall with taps which i couldn't agree more this place looks <laughs> gross what i would go to that bar in a heartbeat oh that looks like every single bar i go to but it is <laughs> a bingo hall with however taps. it is gross and we get a cute little cameo by diablo cody she's a bartender certain people drinks oh
2: really mm-hmm. oh okay i didn't know that was her love that tower one isn't full enough
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have to bring up nine eleven. it's 2009 uh, we get a jump scare by chris pratt oh god <laughs> i guess it is a jump scare in the- in the- and <laughs> it's so terrifying actually i was asking people what their favorite cameo was and i didn't expect anyone to say chris pratt but do you know one of our friends thinks chris pratt's cameo and this is the best cameo of the movie oh my god who sell them out <laughs> Here's a
1: little bit from our friend, Charles. Charles! (laughs) My name is Charles, and I'm one of the co-hosts for the Northern Overexposure podcast. And the reason that I'm shoehorning this in is because my other co-host is Lee. He's going to be really mad at me if I don't do this plug-in right here for our podcast. All right, question number seven. Which cameo is your favorite? (sighs) Okay, gotta be Chris Pratt, especially in today's time. Uh, we're coming right off of the the Mario trailer. Uh, everyone's talking about Chris Pratt's <laughs> voice for Mario right there. Um, just, as a, just as an aside, one of my favorite comments that I read was like on the live stream when they were showing the Mario trailer. Uh, my favorite comment was it was in all caps and it said, Chris Pratt is real. <laughs> I don't know why I laughed so hard at that. But yeah, um, seeing the, the Pratt gotta be the best cameo right there
0: (laughs) i fucking love charles charles Charles, thank you so
1: much
2: thank you for watching this lee lee told us that charles does not watch scary movies at all and he (laughs) blessed him took the time to watch this movie thank you so much charles for letting us traumatize you
0: his responses were, like, one, were such a joy to to listen to.
2: Absolutely. If y'all haven't listened to our Happy Together episode with Lee and Charles on the mic, you are missing out. Go listen to that shit. Such, a, such an intelligent mind. Such a great mind. We're just gremlins
0: over here, like disgusting <laughs> monsters, and Charles is like a beautiful ray of light. I'm so sorry I made you watch this
6: movie, Charles.
2: <laughs> but he's right. The Chris Pratt cameo was very, very funny. Because he's just like another one of those guys taking down a peg. I would have loved
0: to see him get murdered directly. He's probably dead. Get eaten by Megan Fox. Incredible. Incredible. Uh, Okay. So after the Chris Pratt jump scare, uh, (laughs) we see Low Shoulder, uh, a band who's fronted by Nikolai, who's played by Adam Brody. There is a moment where Jennifer like grabs Needy's boobs, but it's not super sexual. It's more like a playful kind of way. Uh, Jennifer and Needy approach Nikolai and they have a funny interaction nicolai actually in the script was not this much of a dick he was like more of like a fake nice guy but i prefer this take a little bit more because fabulous villain
2: it's hilarious so funny he commits i really like the campiness he brings to this role while you still are like you still hate him but he has some funny shit to say
0: yeah devil's lake it's devil's kettle (laughs) fucking right it is so so good so jennifer leaves to grab the 9-11 tribute shooters (laughs) and needy hears the band discussing jennifer's virginity the two shot like the shot of her listening is so hilarious Hilarious. because it's like a zoom in on her face and then like the distance it's like
2: those early 90s portraiture where it's like you and like medium wide and then like a close-up like kind of fuzzy on the side yeah.
0: G- classic. I, I like, I love every time I see that scene, I laugh out loud because so it's So
2: fucking funny. And she stands up for her girl, by the she way. Does. I appreciate
0: that. Needy rolls up on them and says, she is a virgin. And that beats sleeping with creeps like you. And then she finds Jennifer and tells them what the guys are talking about. And Jennifer says, I'm not even a backdoor virgin. <laughs>
2: Thanks, Roman.
0: <laughs> But here is where we hear Through the Trees for the first time.
2: This is my fucking anthem. <laughs> We've been singing this for, uh, song
0: all day,
3: you
2: guys. <laughs> <laughs> through the trees. I, I will find, find you. you. I will heal the ruins left inside you.
1: Because I'm still here breathing now. I'm still here breathing
6: A bop.
2: A bop. It's so lovely when a film can take a diegetic song and make it the anthem of that film. I know you're a huge fan of music and lyrics.
0: I fucking love music and lyrics. <laughs> that song, that movie is amazing.
2: But that song, um, how does I it never want to let you go, but then pop, pop, pop goes my, pop. my heart. It's yes. like these moments in films where we just all agree that there is this alternate universe where this awesome band exists and we <laughs> wish they were real so
0: we could follow their discography and go on the tour, but they do not exist. Abso-freaking-lutely. This song would have been like certified triple platinum if it was actually real on an album somewhere. This
2: would have been on my iPod in high school. Like, no
0: way it wouldn't have been. No Hands down. It would have been one of my top ten songs. Ten million percent. So, do you know anything about... Who made it? Uh, yeah, so the band who portrays Low Shoulder, aside from Adam Brody's character, Nikolai, is a real band. No way. Yeah, but the the lyrics of the song were written by Diablo Cody. They're in the script.
2: No. Yeah. <gasps> she is on her way to a
0: Grammy for
2: sure. Sure! <laughs> wow, that's incredible. I really did think. Cause it sounds like one of those emo songs. You thought from- it was
0: it was similar to Metrics, you know, um, black sheep in scott yes. pilgrim versus the world yes. like the song came yes. first and they kind of just plugged it in absolutely no but cody wrote the lyrics wow i fucking love
2: her he e- got any day now
0: y'all so low shoulder begins playing and in this moment it's like a lot of slow-mo and we get like a very loaded like hand holding beautiful intimate like and you
2: see like the imprint like whenever they release you see the imprint of jennifer's fingers on needy's hand uh,
0: so good you cannot make that shit up that is like pride and prejudice first touch level shit right there yes it's so and i if you're not paying attention to the film you'll you'll miss it but the intimacy that they share and just these like quiet moments is beautiful and it's always needy looking at jennifer Mm -hmm. jennifer's never really like clued in and as soon as this intimate moment passes the bar begins to catch on fire needy notices the fire first and like quickly pulls jennifer to the bathroom through the window over the sticker toilet over the sticker toilet and outside of the melody lane that place went up quick bruh uh, <laughs> i guess a shack full of liquor <laughs> True. Does light on fire fucking fuel so much so, so they get outside and needy tries to kind of rouse jennifer out of this like shock that she has even though it kind of seems like she's in a daze like as the place is burning She stood there not moving, so it might be the work of the devil. Or the 9-11 tower. (laughs) She took the fuller one. (laughs) The tribute, the brown tribute shooter. (laughs) Uh, So in the script, here's like another little bit of subtext that didn't exactly make to the screen, but uh, it reads, Jennifer collapses in Needy's arms coughing. Needy hugs her fiercely, almost romantically. She cups Jennifer's flushed face and looks into her eyes.
2: Aw, I mean, we do get a little flavor of that for sure in the way she's like trying to rouse her and um, Needy like puts her hands on Jennifer's face and tries to get her to look at her. And it's definitely a little bit more concerned than a friend would have for just a friend. You're,
6: you're right.
0: <laughs> uh, so as Needy is trying to help Jennifer, Nikolai appears and tries to get them to his van. He says, I'm in survival mode right now and I want us to get to a familiar place. And right now I feel like that's my van. <laughs> So Nidia attempts to talk Jennifer out of going with them, but she can't. And as soon as she sees Jennifer walk away, Melody Lane explodes behind her and she doesn't even look. It's like such a great shot. Such a great shot. The drama. There are some really fantastic shots cinematography in this film. Let's talk about the cinematography real quick. Also, the color of the
2: film and the lighting. So much fun. That's particularly where I see something new every time I watch it is in how something is framed or the color of the scene or the set design it's really i I honestly strive for movies that put me in it so much that i can just watch the movie without thinking at all about the actual production of it going on like oh this was shot in the daytime or i wonder if this
0: was like a body double this is one of those films where i really just like fall into it so good like as you're saying and especially with the dialogue of diablo cody's which is like so unnatural and you still don't get pulled out of it even for a second no it's it's really really incredible to see
2: and the pacing of the edit too is sharp not a single for me not a single frame out of place there i do have i have one single qualm with this film i probably should have brought up in the beginning i wish that it didn't start in this like mental institution kind of vibe. Like I wish we could have just seen Needy maybe have gotten away with it. And she's like talking from her bedroom or something. Um, this is something our friend Corey, who I'm sure we'll hear from later, we brought were. up to me that I was like, yeah, you're totally right. I agree with you. It It's
0: the one thing that doesn't fit for me, but Corey, who you'll hear in this episode was our improv coach. And he taught me that what's something that's really common that that improv improvisers do is something ridiculous will happen and then someone will come forward and be like, and that was just a dream, you know, and it's all made up anyways. But what basically happens when you say something is a dream or, you know, they're in a mental institution, it really cheapens the experience for the audience who have invested so much in the experience. And and it reminds me of the fucking Twilight Breaking Dawn part two. Give me a, yep, let's preach. I almost screamed in the theater. <laughs> and if I, you know the part I'm talking about, you know the part I'm talking about. I don't want to give too much away. I mean, I guess, <laughs> have you seen *Twilight* bringing up part two? If you haven't you seen it by seen now, it? you're no. never going to yeah, see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there's a huge battle and basically everyone you care for dies. And then we see in a moment, it's like Alice in, it's like Alice's vision or something. And I almost fucking walked out. Oh my God,
2: throw something
0: at the screen. And Lee, what do you think? How do you feel about the technical aspects of this film? Uh,
3: I think it has an amazing style. I think there's a lot of, you guys have already started talking about some of my favorite shots like that. You were just mentioning like Needy at the uh, pinball machine when she's like really close up. Kind of feels like a comic book uh, or like anime or something. Exactly. She's listening into (laughs) Low Shoulder. Love Low Shoulder, the music, the characters. I also love that we get sort of like the inside story on Low Shoulder like halfway through the movie. Like Mm -hmm. I love that it's not early. And they save that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, this is just a really good movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. If I think of something, I'll I'll butt in.
0: Uh, so Jennifer gets in the van, which is like the one thing you're not supposed to do. Yeah. And I'm surprised
2: needy didn't go after her, honestly. But it, self-preservation, it has a limit.
0: She says, I watched her get into that van and I knew something awful was about to happen.
2: I love that we return to that shot over and over again because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, when something bad happens to you in life, you do always wonder, like, what if, what if, what if I had gone in there with her? What if I had just tried harder? You replay you know? it all a
0: million times.
2: Yeah. And that, especially when it's someone that you love and you are so caring about. And, and that really, that really hit me this time. I was like, she really cares about Jennifer.
0: In a kind of gay way. Not so kind of. More just like, gay uh in a gay gay way in a gay gay way. in a lesbian gay way uh (laughs) lesbian gay back at needy's house the house is empty because her mom works nights her mom is played by the incredible amy sedaris who when i watched this for the first time at 13 had no idea who that was Mm -hmm. um but that's what we're saying every time we come back we have a little more understanding of how incredible this film is and a lot of a lot of that has to do with the cast. Yes. Incredible. And the writing. Absolutely. No character is a throwaway. Yes. And they're all, they all have incredible casting choices. Amy Sedaris is but one. And I think she says like three lines in the theatrical edit. She's, she is, um, she is in some of the deleted scenes as well. But yeah. Why not throw Amy Sedaris at this shit? Why not? She's a Ford tough mother. I'm a I'm a mama bear, <laughs> uh, Needy, biting into a piece of dry white bread. That really got me this last time.
2: I laughed at that. Uh,
0: Needy calls Chip because she's home alone, and tells her basically everything that happened. The Melody Lane blew up. That Jennifer got into a van with a with the group soldier, and he says, "Did you get the make and model?" I don't know, Chip. An '89 rapist. <laughs>
2: He honestly does not give a shit about Jennifer. He's
0: yeah. like, oh, good.
2: My competition's gone. Yeah. He's like, you're good, right? Okay. That sounds fine." <sighs>
0: I stole that line in 89 <laughs> Someone rings a doorbell, and it's a horror movie, so yep. you know no one's going to fucking be there when you open Absolutely the door. Absolutely not.
2: Dude, and they fucking got me every time they get me, because I can't remember. You know when she goes over to the hallway closet, and she opens the door? And then she closes, and, and she you're like closes it, and expecting. Every time because i'm like wait, wait wait this is the moment where i think something's gonna be back there but maybe i get tricked i'm not sure and i jump no matter what i jumped this last time no exception
0: oh my god my little chicken you scared Fuck up. uh inside needy thinks huh you know the coast is clear she goes into the kitchen and jennifer sneaks up on her she's covered in blood it's and scary. delirious she's like laughing her mouth is full the of smile. blood the smile it's maniacal Megan Fox serving it honestly incredible
2: fucking performance I like I've always said acting scared and acting scary you know we don't give a lot of praise to people in horror movies but it's gotta be so difficult to pull off fear beats and she really in this moment
0: I get chills every time it's so freaky when she smiles with her blood on her teeth Mm -mm. As you're saying, like, to be scary without acting scared is incredibly challenging. I'm thinking of Get Out, the housekeeper that's like, no, 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 no. And the tears tears, are coming mm. down her face. And this is why I'm a little annoyed with the trailer, because they made this movie seem like it was just horror, no comedy. Even in this moment, which is probably the lowest of the low that Jennifer Check experiences, Needy says, "Uh, my mom got that chicken from Boston (laughs) Market. (laughs) As Jennifer is, like, eating this which is Chicken it, like an it's animal.
2: fucking funny, y'all.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also uh, just a touch of classy VFX when, like, the black yeah. goo that she vomits up, like, turns into knives. She describes it as, like, roadkill and sewing needles mm. mixed up together. It, it's pretty impressive. I, I thought it was cool and scary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... You know she eats the chicken like an animal. She throws up a bunch of weird fucking shit, and she goes to leave. Needy chases her out. Jennifer pushes Needy against the wall and says, "Are you scared?" And then she like runs her mouth and her teeth up Needy's neck. And I was like, "I know it's to be scared." But. <laughs> I'll throw <a> <laughs> I snuck into this movie telling my mom I went to see the Water Horse, and I was just like, <sighs> uh, "Yeah, so scared." <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone.
2: This is a classy
0: podcast. So highbrow. It's actually (laughs) insane. So Jennifer shoves Needy to the floor and leaves. So the next day in science class, Jennifer is back and looks better than ever. She looks hot. She does. She's shining, glowing even. She's Mm. all glowy. And we see that their science teacher is played by the incredible J.K. Simmons. He did so much with this role that did not need to be done. Why does he have
2: like a metal hook for a hand? <laughs> I'm I'm into it.
0: Yeah. No, that was in the script, too. I, I don't know why Diablo <laughs> Cody was like, he needs a hook for a hand. But why not? It works. Uh, Jennifer doesn't want to talk about last night, and she especially doesn't want to talk about her stop at Needy's house after Melody Lane burned down. And she says, don't talk to yourself. It makes both of us look like total gaylords. (laughs) I need to bring
2: back saying gaylord. I went to high school with a guy whose last name was Gaylord. If you can imagine, he was tough.
0: (laughs) He had to be. (laughs) A boy named Sue, a boy named Gaylord. All right. So in between classes, Needy tells Chip that something's wrong with Jennifer. Chip tells Needy she might need to see the school shrink. Rude. (laughs) Not trying to be a dill hole. (laughs) He says. Honestly,
2: like the whole time, anytime she was talking to Chip and trying to like convince Chip that Jennifer was a boy eating demon, I just thought about us. I was like, if you came to me and you were like, Lizzie Peyton? My girlfriend has been overcome by like a soul-sucking demon i'd be like oh my god well what do we do should we google it
0: <laughs> like i would you not would, even question it lizzie'd be so on board like if i could tell anyone that I, like i said freaky friday or like if i could walk up to anyone and be like <sighs> Sorry, my body, I'm swapped right now. You'd be like, for sure, let's be roll. Like, so do we have until sundown or is it like a three-day thing? Do we have to go see the tarot card reader <laughs> that you saw the night before your wedding? Like,
2: what are we doing? Oh, oh, God, I wish Hot Chick was gay enough to do on the podcast. That movie is... Hot Chick is. No. Oh, I guess you're right. Uh-huh. Gender bent.
0: Uh-huh. Put it on the movie list. Put it in the pipeline. You'll be hearing Hot Chick very soon. You can put your weed in there. <laughs> um, so then we meet. Colin Gray, who's played by the incredible Kyle Gallner. I made Lizzie watch The Haunting in Connecticut. I love this this actor. I think Mm -hmm. he plays Spooky really well. Um, Maybe it's how fair he is, but I think I really love him in this role.
1: Yeah,
2: Spooky, but you really empathize with him. In a way that like the emo guys in school and girls, the dead girls in school always got me. I was mm-hmm. like, I, f- I feel I wish I could wear as much black as y'all do. But like, I totally get what you're putting down.
0: Yeah. He's very like emo, very hot topic. He says, I'm glad you didn't die. <laughs> Walks away to Needy, who, you know, could have died at Melody Lane. And Chip's like, why, why would he say something like that? How do you know Colin Gray? It's <laughs> in it my
2: creative nonfiction writing class?
0: it's really dark (laughs) (laughs) all right out on the football field Ooh, so many great shots cinematography wise i love this shot
2: it makes me laugh so hard it's so good it's like a drone shot flying over the football green moving in closer and closer to this massive football player standing near the edge of the field with this metal song playing over it, it's just creative and epic. You could have not done that. You could have just like cut to establishing shot football field, then medium shot football player Jennifer enters from screen left. But they took this creative approach with it, and also this like joke because we see her approaching from like screen right to left, so you expect her to come from the right side, but she comes from the left, and he like jumps like, jumps. Oh, it's so <laughs> fucking good, and just it just sets the tone for like, okay, she's got these like abilities now like she's not moving in the way that we expect her to
0: yeah it's it's a nice touch on the world like it's world building Mm -hmm. um it's not a throwaway even though like murders and slashers usually are of like minor characters they're just like tossed in like sprinkles but this is really purposeful i think it's also really funny having read the script diablo cody doesn't seem like a person who gives a shit about football and when she's wrote the script she says like jonas is standing at football at football (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not football field not in the football field jonas is at football <laughs> i knew what she meant
2: no absolutely you see like the gear strewn about he's wearing his jersey
0: cody was like jonas football sounds good everyone's like yup. you get it Yep. yeah we understand <laughs> no adjectives needed so jennifer attempts to comfort jonas the sensitive jock because he's lost his best friend craig in the fire craig if you will remember from the scene at melody lane hit on jennifer for a split second yes that's that's him Mm -hmm. she tells jonas that she was the last person to speak to craig uh and she says that he said we would make a totally banging couple he said banging. (laughs)
4: i
2: love that <laughs> this poor he's idiot he's about to get murdered
0: yeah so he follows her willingly into the forest where they start making out and like animals gather around like it's some fucked up snow white situation <laughs> and jennifer tells him you're gonna see your buddy real soon and unhinges her jaw and kills him Ooh,
2: beautiful and brutal
0: There is a there's a scene that's cut out of the theatrical release, but is included in the unrated version, which shows Jonas's parents at the scene of the crime as Jonas's body is getting pulled away, and they're obviously in a very emotional state. And we get some choice words from Jonas's father, who says, "You hear me, speaking to the like murderer? Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to take your balls and nail them to the door like those door knockers, rich folks got." I wish they would have left that in because it's like this awesome moment
2: where of like, of course we expect this violent murderer to be someone with testicles.
0: Yeah. Little do they know. So when I was asking people how they felt about this film, all and you know our guests have recorded their responses, I said like, you know, what's your favorite cameo? And I listed you know Chris Pratt, Amy Sedaris, J.K. Simmons, Diablo Cody, Lance Henriksen, and I got an overwhelming response. And I would like you to hear that now.
7: Okay. Hi, my name is Corey Dumasnow, and I'm supposed to say an interesting fact about myself. So if English class has taught me anything, what would come before Jennifer's body is Jennifer's introduction, and then after would be Jennifer's conclusion. I don't know if that's interesting, but that's what I came up with. Unfortunately, my favorite cameo did not make it on that list, so I'm going to include it. And I apologize for mispronouncing his name, but I'm going to go with Bill Foggerbach or Fagbakary. Not sure how to say it. Uh, He is the voice of Patrick from SpongeBob SquarePants. He's been (gasps) in other things, but that would probably be what most people know him from. And he is the dad shouting that he will make a door knocker from the testicles of his son's killer. And that's my favorite line delivery of the entire film. And it's heartbreaking that we don't get more from that character. But yeah, Patrick Starr yelling that he's going to make doorknockers out of testicles. A plus, 100%. It's Bill Fagerbocky. It's Bill Fagerbocky every time. It's always
5: been Bill Fagerbocky. When you hear the voice of Patrick Starr talking about nailing somebody's nutsack to his door like one of those lion door knockers like rich folks got (laughs) that's like one of the best cameos in film ever let alone in this film i i was thoroughly tickled by that it is probably the funniest moment in the entire movie (laughs) (laughs) i didn't include him
0: in the list because he's not in the theatrical version. And boy, did I get shoot out for not including
2: him. Corey and Peyton laid you out for that one.
0: Wow, Patrick Starr, a real icon in this film. <sighs> not to be looked over, even for a moment. They included no. him in one scene and then they cut it. Like, how random. Just leave it in. Just leave it in. It's, it's It really is a great line delivery. <laughs> and genius. All right, after jennifer's killed jonas we get a beautiful shot of jennifer swimming through the lake
2: i don't know why but this scene like whenever i think about jennifer's body this scene comes to mind a lot like i think when i first started watching this movie this was the scene that kind of really clued it to me that this movie wasn't just like the B-horror movie that I thought it was going to be because it's so epically shot and it has this really gorgeously simple and intense like kind of hard rock song over it. Basically Jennifer is swimming through, she appears from the bottom of this like beautiful alpine lake and she just swims slowly through the water, gets out on the dock and just wrings her hair out and walks away. It's a really simple shot. But there's like all these subtleties to what jennifer has become and how her transformation is complete when she like feeds on these poor dudes yeah and also like her skin is like steaming so you know she's like hot-blooded and like just this ultra creature the way that megan fox stares into camera during this scene it's just so gorgeously iconic and i like hearing her um hearing her earlier in that interview with diablo cody is really heartbreaking because it kind of sounds like there was some trauma for her associated with filming this like it kind of sounds like some paparazzi snuck in and we're taking photos of her and obviously she like appears very naked And that sucks because I thought this scene was so beautiful and like gave such a power to this character. And I was like, hell yeah. Like this is like the first rev of the engine Mm. for Jennifer's character, like in her full demon self that I found. Like I find her a very empowering character. I know she's supposed to be evil, but she has such power. And I I think this scene just like nails it.
0: Yeah, this scene, as you're saying, the subtlety. And the craftsmanship, the aerial shot is stunning. stunning. The heat coming off her body, incredibly well captured. Also, at the beginning of the shot, the lake is still. The water is not moving. It shows her coming up from the water, meaning she had to have dove, let the water still, and then come up, which I can imagine took a million fucking tries. And the water is ice fucking cold, which is why her body is steaming. But this moment, you know, she discusses it in that interview with Diablo Cody, where she's begging... Begging the the folks at TMZ and Perez Hilton not to release these photos of her. And I remember, you know, I was super plugged into like Jennifer Body Tumblr. And I remember these photos. It was a huge deal. And it was on the cover of every single tabloid Ugh. that she was naked. But she she was wearing a flesh-colored swimsuit. Right. But they but... ran with this like title, Oh, she's naked. And yeah. And I think that plays into the mismarketing of this film as well because mm-hmm. They had these shots that they understood were very tantalizing. But if you look at them from any perspective as an audience member, it's not the male gaze. No, absolutely not. No. It's a wholly empowering scene for Jennifer, the character. And they don't, there's not a single shot of this film that exploits Jennifer or Megan Fox as an object. If anything, it solidifies our own understanding of what it's like to be a popular girl and to be untouchable. It's just to be looked at, Mm -hmm. but not to be a, they don't, dehumanize her from especially from the perspective of needy who loves her like endlessly yeah she is a real person and she's
2: flawed too which is part of that veneer that we don't often see in these like hot girl roles you know like heathers and even mean girls to an extent like rodina doors has his other side but ultimately she's just like an object with a single face but jennifer doesn't have that she's got all these flaws and cracks and interesting little quirks and power. Like, this is such a powerful scene. It's just like the word I would use to describe how Jennifer is portrayed in this scene. And which sucks because it is so opposite to how Megan Fox was feeling in that moment. Like, this was such a disempowering moment for her where she didn't have control. It just sucks because I, I see it. I, I see what Diablo Cody and, them and Karen Kazama were trying to do. And also how the media just took it out of
0: hand. Yeah. There's nothing, like Megan Fox had said, there's nothing she could have done
2: that would
4: be viewed
0: well. So after the scene, we get that infamous phone conversation (laughs) where uh, (laughs) Jennifer is godlike. You know, she's like burning her tongue. and I love that shot. So good. So classy. She calls Needy and says, you know, when you kiss a boy for the first time and it feels like your entire body is on vibrate. And Needy's like, Yeah. The lesbian response to that, yeah,
2: yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, sure. I felt that with Chip. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm a god. Okay, uh... okay.
0: <laughs> that kills me every time. There are so many incredible one-liners in this scene, some of which being, "I'm having the best day since Jesus invented the calendar," and <laughs> Chip's little sister Camille playing the piano when she's told to stop <laughs> says, "You knock it off, Chip. Your penis cheese." <laughs> An icon. Get
2: him. <laughs>
0: they cut out fucking Patrick Star's line with a door knocker, That's but they're the leaving in the penis, penis cheese. Come on. Look, the editing is near perfect. We flash forward a month and we see Devil Kettle in mourning from, you know, the loss at Melody Lane and then the murder and subsequent cannibalism of Jonas, <laughs> the football player. <sighs> Oof. And Low Shoulder is becoming more and more famous. And the song Through the Trees is probably like you could hear that in every single scene it's somewhere in the background it's
2: funny how they like keep bringing it in like (laughs) needy gets into her car in a huff at a certain point and it's just playing on the radio it's like the theme of the formal it's it's so funny
0: how they keep threading it through it reminds me of this movie that me and lizzie love called other people starring molly shannon and jesse plemons but every time he gets in a car goes to the grocery store drops of jupiter is playing
2: Oh, my trains. God. That is so relatable to life, though. Because, you know, you go back home and they're playing like Colin Baton Rouge
0: or whatever. It's <laughs> Christmas. Like, and you're just like, I want to shoot myself in the you're face. You're
2: like, can I just have complete silence for a moment?
0: Uh, it's so fucking relatable. In the hallway, Needy tells Jennifer that she looks tired. And Jennifer responds, it's just wearing off or something.
2: It's not lost on me the like 30 day or so transition period that jennifer is on it like feels like the menstrual cycle Mm. and i'm sure that people have talked about that but i'm like yeah girl i feel that you know three to seven days a month (laughs) where i'm like my hair is lackluster i want to kill someone i need to eat something hot-blooded
0: yeah hell it's a teenage girl like this is like an allegory for puberty and menstruation as well so you're on top of the world tuesday and you want to literally just fall off the face of the planet on friday (laughs) accurate Yes. So in the hallway, Colin Gray approaches and asks Jennifer on a date. He invites her to see Rocky Horror at the Bijou. She says, I don't like boxing movies. It's not a fucking boxing movie. <laughs> oh, Colin. I love him. I want I want to give him a really big hug.
2: It's a great character. I w- it's the murder that hits me the hardest because I really did like this character. Like I said, he's such a, you have so much
0: empathy for him. Mm-hmm. So after needy tells jennifer that colin is a really cool guy jennifer invites colin over to watch Marine. i just got it on dvd
2: it's about a woman who's like half sushi or something i <laughs> think she has sex through her blowhole
0: dream date <laughs> jennifer check netflix Aquamarine? and chill the og i couldn't think of anything better especially as a little emo boy oh no <laughs> that was yeah. hilarious absolutely so the next scene we're side by side watching mm-hmm. needy having very weird sex it's just vanilla super vanilla i guess weird is is i mean i'm a lesbian so it seems weird to me <laughs> yeah. but probably very they wholesome. Use these weird
2: plastic balloon looking things <laughs> i don't
0: know what those are for very straight sex i should say yeah and then jennifer killing colin gray and um i think the songs that they choose for both are very sweet so let me play those so in this scene we see needy and Chip have very vanilla heterosex. No. <laughs>
2: this is the perfect song. No, no. Dry humping, over the bra boob grabbing, Target condom
0: using sex. And we see the poor Colin Gray heading for his demise.
2: The rain is gone.
0: gone. <laughs> I can see all the obstacles in, in my, my way. way. <laughs> Work. I love him. I When I searched Colin Gray to find the name of the actor because it slipped my mind, the first thing that came up was Colin Gray, Jennifer's body fan fiction.
2: Oh, <gasps> Get out of town. I didn't even consider the fan fiction for this novel. Oh, my God. I mean, God. for
0: this film. For this novel. I wish it was a book. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be so fucking good. I think it did spin off a comic. That'd be perfect for a graphic novel. Perfect. I'm going to look for that. So Jennifer is luring Colin into her web like a spider. And the address Jennifer gives Colin is to an unfinished house where we hear.
5: Well, I know you see me, love-
2: I don't think
0: this song has ever sounded creepier in my whole life.
2: The one few things I do know about this movie is that the music supervisor, Randall Poster, is an absolute legend. <laughs> if you listen or take the time to look up his IMDb page, he has probably chosen the music tracks for most of your favorite movies. This guy knows
0: what he's doing he's tapped in he is tapped he's in. he's at the source because this is exactly what jennifer check would be playing it's before she murders so someone.
2: and it stands out genre wise from the rest of the film in such a way that oh god this is my favorite murder not to be confused with the podcast that is way more popular <laughs> than will ever be but poor colin it's funny you mentioned that
5: i really loved uh the use of akon's i want to love you that was playing on the radio uh, when Jennifer has like lured Colin into this empty house uh, to feast upon him succulently. (laughs) Um, I I thought it was great. I I loved the, the like diegetic use of it. Uh, and uh, it kind of creates this atmosphere that's like for me very nostalgic because you know I grew up listening to Akon, but also it's it's really creepy uh uh because of the way that we hear it echoing through this like empty uh still being constructed house uh it it feels. It, it like sets the tone for the murder really well.
0: Thank you so much, Peyton Tyree, for including the phrase hey. succulently consumed. This <laughs> succulently season. consumed. Also diegetic sound. Throw that in there as well. <laughs> well, this guy's got a vocab on him. Lizzie, do you want to tell the folks what diegetic and
2: non-diegetic sound is? So diegetic sound is sounds that the characters in a theme in a scene can hear for example jennifer check plays this song on a little home depot radio in this house and colin can hear it whereas non-diegetic sound is the sounds we most often hear in films which is music only the audience is privy
0: to look at you
2: i went to film school (laughs) if i have anything it's a film degree
0: uh so poor colin he's fucked Uh, He tells Jennifer, this isn't really your house, As a, He's got a vocal fry I'm into. Yeah. God, it was really...
2: He was like the one boy I was sad to see go. But that's like the beauty of this film. It's like it doesn't really spare. Like you can be a nice guy and you're still not doing enough to be spared by this demon.
0: Yeah, he's a fairly nice guy. And bringing it back to what Peyton said, my partner in the beginning, like she is killing people who would in a different situation maybe be the ones that abuse her. Colin Gray is not one of those people, but he did expect to have sex with her. I mean, Mm -hmm. why else would you go into an unfinished house to hang out and watch Aquamarine? Why else would you invite one to Rocky Horror? (laughs) Rocky Horror is a very horny thing to watch. Show enough. Even though it's a boxing movie. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer says, no, baby, this is our house. We can play mommy and daddy. I'd be like,
2: okay. (laughs) He says, do you even know my last name? Oh, it's really, it really is like sad to see Colin go. Do you remember in the script if he was written so like
0: um, sympathetically or if
2: it was just this actor's portrayal?
0: It was almost exactly mm. the the words that we see like i mean the dialogue almost exactly is the same but i have to give it to kyle gowner because all of his like sensitivity and carefulness really did not come across in the script it really mm-hmm. just came across in in his performance because when i read the script before i saw the movie i didn't feel any kind of way about him dying yeah and then i watched it and i was like
2: no oh, not this guy i mean if he must <laughs>
0: I was like, I got over it pretty quickly, but it was the only murder that made me really sad. Yeah, truly. Um, So Needy can sense this through her weird like telepathy thing and stops the clinical sex that she's having with her straight boyfriend. And we get a great shot of Jennifer like lapping up Colin's blood in her hand and drinking it like (sighs) a little cat. A crazy good. So fucking good. So gross. So on the way home, Needy sees Jennifer crossing the street like a like a deer or something in headlights she's like frozen covered in blood and then jennifer jumps on her car like (laughs) spider-man and he manages to get away and when she gets home she falls asleep on the couch and wakes up heads to her room and who's waiting for her up there
2: jennifer check
0: why the fuck not having a sleepover actually jennifer check the last name is funny because when diablo cody was writing the script she just said jennifer last name check like as in like Jennifer oh, like, got is, it. Yeah, it's check. Oh, that's funny. And they she made it just check. left it. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. it's just really cute. Um, God, let's talk about this scene.
2: <sighs> this is a scene that was like surprisingly missing from the trailer, but I guess they could not show such charged elements. They showed
0: in the trailer Jennifer approaching Needy on the bed, but they oh, didn't yeah. show the kissing or anything that's like true. that. And actually, interestingly enough, it's not anywhere in the script. What? The kiss the kiss is not in the script. That never happens. I know, usually it's in the script and then removed from the the movie.
2: I wonder if they kept it out to increase the probability of funding or something. I know, because we've sure. heard time yeah. and time again that like uh, like Anne Rice kind of considered homoing down her script in order to get it funded. So maybe that was part of this. I I doubt it because I think you can spin that in like such a sexual manner that you would entice certain audiences to watch it but that's so interesting i never would have expected that because it it, the way it is shot is intentional as fuck
0: incredibly purposeful yeah and you know maybe they did initially leave it out so as lizzie was saying that they could get funded but it seems like the marketing execs love that scene and Mm -hmm. you know we're definitely baiting queer people with it for for the sake of, of the trailers and such, but yeah. Not even
2: queer people, but like straight white boys exactly. who think that girls kissing is hot.
0: Yes. So Needy says, get out. And Jennifer says, but we always share your bed when we have slumber parties.
2: They really have excellent chemistry and all these different levels because this is the one, not even the one scene, but just a scene where we really get to see that their friendship and the sexual tension between them is like, so close the line between them is so close that they can cross over it from line to line truly some really dense chemistry there
0: and when i said earlier about you know before the melody lane catches on fire and needy is looking at jennifer and jennifer is totally checked out of the situation jennifer knows you know when somebody's mm-hmm. in love with you it's not something that doesn't register so i think jennifer knows when to turn it on and is like very clearly doing so in this moment and. Um, she says, I'm not going to bite you. And she like moves Needy's hair. As she like crosses the bed to get closer to Needy, she moves Needy's hair over her shoulder and they start kissing. And Amanda Seyfried had said that this is like one of her most enjoyable, like intimate performances she's done with anyone because she said that their kissing styles like really matched each other.
2: They have, it's, it's, I mean, like for risk of sounding like a high school boy, it's really hot. It's so They have so hot. much chemistry. But also the care that they took to film it. Like it, the shot where their lips finally meet is like a hyper, hyper close-up of basically just these two women's lips. But like a little bit of light bokeh in the background. Like this blown out, beautiful light. And they take their time with it. Like... I feel like if this was like a high, overly sexualized moment, it would have been just like a slam right into heavy makeup, nah, 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 noise, vibes, exactly. Close the door, slam,
0: land bed. Exactly. Yeah. And let's
2: flip around. But it's it's
0: quiet and it's slow and it's tender and There's it's super no sexy. There's no sound. No sound, no music. It's just their, it's it's really beautiful. Just their lips moving. And yeah. it, it really does seem like a choreographed dance because Jennifer comes in and does the like – Hey, I'm kissing you now. Is this okay? And then Needy comes full force. You can see Needy kind of giving over to it. Exactly. And and then they lay down on the bed. It's so hot. It's so well shot, too. We hardly ever see kisses like that. Oh, my God. I can think think of so many
2: queer films that are supposed to be about real lesbian relationships. Looking at you, uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, where I see the two leads... Who are supposed to be in homosexual relationships kissing. And I'm like, this feels gross and weird. and like that they didn't really talk about it. but with the with in Jennifer's body, like I can feel the direction and the intention behind the edit, how it was shot, and then back to how the characters, I'm sure, and the cast were thinking about it with the director. i can
0: I can just feel that. It's I mean, I there's not a single thing I would touch about this scene. It's absolutely perfect. And it rolls right into. Jennifer explaining to Needy, because mm-hmm. Needy has a lot of questions. She like, she jumps off of Jennifer and she says, what the fuck is going on? And Jennifer basically relays the whole night of when she was sacrificed by a low shoulder. And it, 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 you would think that juxtaposing those scenes would be really harsh and really strange to the audience, but it it flows so well. It's done with mm-hmm. a lot of consideration. And we see the moment in time where Jennifer was sacrificed and- Whew! it's bleak it's really dark
2: it's really dark and a lot it it all hinges on megan fox's performance and i will give adam brody a like a little pat on the back there because if he hadn't leaned so heavily into the comedy of this role it Like it is really hard to watch, but it would have been way more traumatizing and triggering. But they do bring in this like deadpan humor through Jennifer and Adam's characters in this moment to kind of like be like, okay, you have an anchor to humor to help you get through what is essentially
0: a horrifying (laughs) murder. Yeah. So trigger warning, if being ritualistically sacrificed is triggering to you, being stabbed, anything of the sort being, being tied, if anything of that is, is not kosher with you, you can just skip ahead a few minutes. Um, but yeah, so the humor, as you're saying is really important. I, Nikolai played by Adam Brody says, do you want to work at Moose Hoof coffee forever? I don't. Do you want to be a loser or do you want to be rich and awesome? Like that guy from room five
2: adam levine definitely sacrificed someone to get where he is today that is the
0: only explanation Ugh, that <laughs> and, you know that line couldn't have aged better
2: no it's only gotten more and more relevant <laughs> truly
5: so i'm going to
0: show you the rest of that scene now
5: do you know how hard it is to make it as an indie band these days there's so many of us and we're all so cute and it's like if you don't get on letterman or some retarded soundtrack you're screwed okay Satan is our only hope. We're in league with the beast now. And we have to make a really big impression on him. And to do that, we're going to have to butcher you. You know what? Maybe we'll write a song about you. I think, as a fan, that'd be pretty cool, right?
3: With the deepest
5: malice, we deliver this virgin unto thee.
3: Dude, that is a hot murder weapon.
5: Bowie knife. Bowie. Nice. All right, here we go. It's gonna be gnarly.
2: No, please, please. No, please. Wait a second.
1: I
5: just thought of something. Jenny, Jenny, you're the girl for me. Now, you don't know me, but you make me so happy. I tried to call you before, but I lost my nerve. I used my imagination, but I was disturbed.
1: Jenny, I got your number.
6: I need
5: to make you mine. Jenny will change your number.
0: Lizzie,
2: talk to me about that scene. (sighs) It's a crazy scene. Hard scene to watch, but basically Jennifer and Low Shoulder, the bandmates, are all out in the middle of the woods near this creepy waterfall that has no end, and... Adam Brody does his whole villains monologue to explain that in order for them to abstain, obtain Maroon 5 status in the music <laughs> world, they need to sacrifice a virgin to Satan. Satan is our only hope. And he eventually does stab her and sacrifice her to Satan. I will point out, and it isn't until this moment that I really realize that Though she is being brutally murdered in this scene, we don't see any blood or we don't see any of the impact of the violence directly on her. As soon as he kind of raises the knife and plunges it into Jennifer, we kind of go into this like weird, like stop framey, slow motion kind of vibe. But there's no blood and no gore, whereas any other murder in this film from the very beginning with the fire all through all the boys that Jennifer eats are just like bald face violence teeth to skin ripping gore so i think it's interesting yeah. that she the director and diablo cody chose to reserve the violence not for jennifer herself but for that only time that there is violence is she is inflicting it on other people so but still it, yet an
0: empowerment kind of thing lizzie such a good read I like love this movie i fucking love this movie and like tying it back to what diablo had said in the the beginning horror as a genre is always surprisingly Feministic, Mm -hmm. but also tantalizingly exploitative. And I think that Jennifer had to have an origin of this kind to justify her nature, but it's not tantalizing in execution. You don't want to see Jennifer being stabbed to death because most of this is from needy's perspective needy is listening to jennifer tell the story and she doesn't want to see this either and as audience members although we know that jennifer is the one eating these boys we don't want her to suffer either mm-hmm. so i think that was done super well in the scene they start singing 8675309 <laughs> uh, which on the first watch i remember really freaking me out i was like what the fuck is happening cuz yeah. i was thinking like where is this going and it's it's funny about this scene because they a little bit has changed from the script, but they added a line where Nikolai takes out the Bowie knife, and the another bandmate goes, oh, nice knife. And he goes, it's a Bowie knife. And the guy goes, "Ah, oh, Bowie, nice. But in the script, the song that they sing as they're sacrificing Jennifer is Starman by David Bowie. Oh, wow. So what I imagine happened from script to screen was they realized that they couldn't get Starman <laughs> and very quickly pivoted to eight six seven five three oh nine, but then threw that knot into the Bowie knife, which yeah. is just so fucking nice. And also this film heavily centers around music, even though it's not exactly about musical people, but I think Diablo Cody just has this incredible way of of cementing characters in time. And you've seen it with Juno as well. That soundtrack was phenomenal. Yeah and I think it really really puts us in a time and space and in 2009 and I mean the the title Jennifer's Body obviously is a whole song Mm -hmm. from their 1994 album Live Through This which Diablo Cody is a huge fan of whole and you don't see that whole song in this film but you do hear other um, whole songs so we'll talk about those when we get to them but I'm, and there's nothing without consideration
2: yeah and also just the element of fame in this how basically the driving factor behind all of this entire story is that this band this guy wants to obtain fame and in order to do that they're willing to start this like domino effect of havoc in this small town thinking that these people are inconsequential and i wonder if like any of that comes from diablo cody's coming off of an Academy win with Juno and feeling the pressure of fame and knowing like what you have to sacrifice to get there sometimes mm-hmm. and how that is just like kind of interlaced throughout
0: the whole film. Yeah. God, I, I fucking love this movie. Dude. It's, it just keeps peeling back the layers. Really? So back in Needy's room, we return from the sacrificial flashback and Jennifer explains, while well, she should have died for some reason she didn't. And, um, she remembers waking up, and she says, "I found my way back to you, and I couldn't bring myself to hurt you." Gay, 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 Lord, yeah, because she
2: could have eaten
0: needy in that moment, yeah. But they're lesbian, gay, so, so she couldn't, couldn't. She's like, not yet. <laughs> then we see, unfortunately, Jennifer killing Ahmed, the foreign exchange student. He didn't deserve that. He is just got to say that another person that didn't deserve it. Yeah. But you know. She says, "When I'm fool like I am right now, I'm unkillable," and she draws a piece of wood across her forearm and like instantaneously it heals and this freaks the shit out of needy and needy asks her to leave and jennifer says we can play boyfriend girlfriend like we used to it's just always did something like for that. me <laughs> you're like i never forgot this uh, to to go from the makeout to the sacrifice to come out on the other end and still be horny is amazing her trauma
2: response is astounding.
0: she's really found a way to deal with her internal issues absolutely and uh, Jennifer eventually leaves out the second story window and just like hops out and is gone. she's a god. It's very Edward Cullen very Eddie calls. <laughs> A thousand, a thousand percent. Like no. the only thing that can make this more gaylord is if like Jennifer watches needy while she sleeps.
2: Well, needy watches Jennifer while she <gasps> sleeps in bed. Lizzie, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh my god, it's all about Twilight. <laughs> Everything comes <laughs> back to Twilight. It sucks, <laughs> but it's true. So sorry. Uh, so we see more time pass as the children as the the
2: children and maria von
0: trapp the children (laughs) my children we see time pass as the school mourns the death of colin but it seems like everyone's sick of mourning and they get over it pretty quickly and in the library we see that needy is researching the occult our library has an occult section yeah it's really small it's
2: small but useful it gets her exactly what she needs to know so everyone's gearing up for this
0: fucking formal you mean the through the trees spring formal (laughs) The through the trees spring formal and chip basically tells needy that she's losing it and that she needs to find some help and needy tells chip jennifer's evil he says i know and she says no not high school evil Real evil. Real evil. She explains to him the idea of demonic transference. Basically, when you sacrifice a virgin to Satan and they're not actually a virgin, the demon like lives in the body of the person sacrificed. That and- math checks out for me so much. I was like, cool. Yep. Except that. I actually didn't need the scene. I was on board. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: love hearing the lore behind it, though. Like, I love the Buffy scene where they go to the library and stay up all night researching. They finally crack it.
0: I was like, my God it's a succubus it's a big bunny demon
2: and everyone's like sounds (laughs) fucking good all right it has three rules here they are all right this is how we defeat
0: it i love that it's like you know i'm on board but this is a little fun thing for you guys yeah it's
2: (laughs) just the the tech behind it you know
0: yeah so needy breaks up with chip because it's not safe for them to be together okay don't care i honestly don't give a two So Needy makes Chip promise that he's not going to go to this dance. He doesn't really promise it, but he doesn't not promise it. And then he ends up getting ready to go to the dance anyways, like a fucking idiot. <laughs> When I think of Low Shoulder, I just do Panic at the Disco. Yeah, that or Fallout Boy. Right. Well, they actually wanted, that's so great that you mentioned that. They actually wanted Pete Wentz or Joel <gasps> Madden.
2: If Pete Wentz had been in this motherfucking movie, it would have been another level completely. I
0: would have gone.
2: That would have been awesome. Fucking crazy. Yeah. that would. I would still be going crazy.
0: Yeah. No, I would still be talking. I wouldn't have a job. I'd just be <laughs> on the street corner holding a sign like Pete Wentz was in Jennifer's body. Pete Wentz and Megan Fox were in the same room. Anyways, so at the dance, Needy is there in this pink, puffy monstrosity. Hideous. So gross. To keep an eye out for Jennifer, but Jennifer's not there yet. But you know who is there? Fucking
1: through the, the tree. tree. I will find find you. you. Oh,
0: my God. Um, So we see in parallel Chip is walking to the school through the park like a fucking dumbass lasagna with teeth. (laughs) And he's like looking over his shoulder like an idiot. And Jennifer gains on him very quickly. She tells Chip that Needy took it very hard when Colin died because Needy and Colin were intimate manipulation she says by intimate i mean they were porking on a semi-regular basis basis on a
2: semi-regular
0: basis get the fuck out of here i love jennifer check saying semi-regular basis (laughs) porking god it really paints a picture um so chip is like initially kind of unsure of jennifer but she kisses him and she kind of like It takes 14 seconds
2: for her to completely seduce this
0: young man. Do you blame him? No, but (laughs) it also alternatively took her three seconds to seduce Needy. True. So (laughs) she wasn't like chips porking someone. She was. Does that make Needy
2: the smarter character or
0: the most vulnerable? It makes her the gayest character, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, for sure. mm, Yes, Mm, yes, yes, scholars agree. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So we see Needy at the dance, and because she, like, has this witchy telepathic thing, she can feel that Chip's in danger. So she runs to find them. She finds them in an abandoned pool. At this point, Jennifer is feasting on Chip like he's, like, a, I don't know. Bag of Doritos? Yeah, she's halfway through.
2: Doritos soft loco's taco yes
0: chalupa he's a baja blast (laughs) and she's slurped about half of it at this point so they're in this abandoned pool it looks really fucking creepy uh the water is murky everything's like overgrown and gross needy enters because she hears chip scream and (laughs) poor chip his little face when he sees needy he's like (laughs) he's like basically dead nailed it (laughs) (laughs) Poor God. Uh, So Needy says before she jumps on Jennifer, Saint Jude, patron saint of hopeless causes, please give me the power to crush this bitch. (laughs) She says it so quickly that it's just, it comes across much funnier in the script, but she jumps on Jennifer and they begin fighting and Jennifer like disappears into the pool, then jumps out and begins like levitating. And I'm going to show you the rest of that scene now. She can fly. She's just hovering.
1: She can fly. She's just hovering.
4: It's not that impressive. God, do you have to undermine everything that I do? You are such a player hater. You're a jerk. Wow, nice insult, Hannah Montana. You got any more harsh digs? You know what? You are never a good friend.
1: Even when we were little, you used to
4: steal my toys and pour lemonade on my bed. And now I'm meeting your boyfriend see at least i'm consistent
1: why do you need him huh you could have anybody that you want jennifer so
4: why chip is it just to take me off or is it because you're just really insecure i am not insecure needy god that's a joke how could i ever be insecure i was the snowflake queen yeah Two years ago, when you were socially relevant. I am still socially relevant. And when you didn't need laxatives to stay skinny. I am going to eat your soul. And shit, it's
1: out of us, Nikki! you only murdered boys.
0: I go both ways. God. Uh, This dialogue in this scene. Lizzie, would you like to talk about it?
2: It's like watching... I don't give a shit about tennis, but I imagine if I really cared about tennis, this is what it would feel like. Like, bah, 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 left, right. They, so Chip is safe for the time being. And now it's just Jennifer and Needy finally getting to say all the things from this like entire lifelong friendship of pent up bullshit. And they're both soaking wet in their hideous prom gowns or whatever, just like throwing these one liners back and forth. And even in this, even in they're like having it at each other there is this chemistry of these two actors that is really undeniable and the delivery of these lines i could fall so flat if they weren't just
0: committed to so much and there wasn't all this backstory there it's it's a great scene it's absolutely fantastic the dialogue like i mentioned like if it wasn't diablo cody would sound very trite and very reaching and super alien but i think in this context of this film all the actors are really committing to this bit yeah and like as you're saying it seems so charged like they they've wanted to say these things to each other forever Um, two years ago when you were socially relevant i'm still socially relevant that that is so fucking perfect it really is like music and it sounds so lame but it it's perfect and chip after the scene grabs like a pool skimmer and stabs jennifer straight through her body like through her stomach. And Jennifer says, You got a tampon? And Needy shakes her head. She goes, Thought I'd ask. It seemed like you might be plugged
2: <laughs> That is the line for me. That is the line for me. That's it.
0: The movie could end at this point.
2: It's like we're in this ridiculous situation.
0: Let's just go to that next level and just make it happen. Let's just do it. And, and, and Jennifer, like, this is just a game to her, So This yeah. is so hilarious. She leaves and. Before help can get there, Chip bleeds out. Manda Seyfried really
2: committed to this, though. I was feeling her pain over losing Chip. Fabulous actress.
0: Incredible. She can send Jennifer's body. She could send Mama Mia. Is there anything yeah. she can't do?
2: No, she can do everything. First Reformed, also fabulous. Never seen it, have you? Well, it's
0: great. <laughs> fabulous. You only saw it because Ethan Hawk's in it. And? Sarah <laughs> Back at Jennifer's house. Okay, so after this point, we... Come back to our first flashback. So like Needy starts off in the mental hospital telling the story of her watching Jennifer through her window. And then we go back two months to see when this all started. But now we're back at Needy at Jennifer's window. And Needy bursts through and swings a hammer at Jennifer and then jumps on top of Jennifer on Jennifer's bed. And she says, best friends forever, huh? You killed my boyfriend, you dumb bitch. (laughs) What else can he say in that moment? Hey, Needy pulls out a box cutter from her waist and says, you know what this is? It's for cutting boxes. God,
2: do you get your murder weapons from Home Depot?
0: (laughs) In the script, when Needy delivers that line, she goes to cross Jennifer's crotch. So cutting boxes, (gasps) her box. It it didn't come across in the screen whatsoever, but I just thought that part was really funny. Then... Jennifer bites Needy and says, do you buy all your murder weapons at Home Depot? God, you're butch. God, you're butch. I fucking she's the love top. that line.
2: She's the top. I'm sorry. Jennifer's Howell. the top. Yeah, obviously. I was saying Amanda Seyfried's the top. You think? Well, in the makeout scene and in this scene, she's on top. So how much more top can a top get? I think they're both giving verse. Sure. We all have our opinions, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and on this, we disagree. <laughs>
0: so important <laughs> so here's a line from the script that didn't really come across in the screen it reads as such jennifer's t-shirt slides up to her armpits exposing her breasts for a moment her eyes meet needy's and she grins it's as if she has control over needy for a split second sexual control
2: yeah well the sexual control part was implied however i mean there's definitely that whiff of that you get in pretty much every scene that jennifer needs to have control of needy she can do it with just a few words or a look or getting really close to her neck and saying are you afraid like she basically can
0: paralyze needy with her you know homosexual urges yeah i think i mean in the script this scene happens way earlier it follows the mental institution scene like right after oh, okay. in the in the screen it happens takes place At towards the end, the end yeah. of the film but there's like so many lines like this in the script where so it's not something that you can argue was like a directorial choice mm-hmm. to make these characters charged like Diablo cody wrote it very specifically to happen yeah. and feel this way uh, which i love and as they fight they begin to levitate needy pulls jennifer's necklace off her bff necklace
2: Dude, their psychic
0: connection is broken in that moment. Taking the best friend charm and it's going in the dirt. In the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> needy stabs, needy stabs Jennifer in the heart and Jennifer says, "My dad." <laughs> <laughs> <It> dies. <laughs> okay, but like in all
2: seriousness, it's a sad moment because like some part of you has to wonder if like Sure, Jennifer may have been an exploitative friend and used Needy in a way that was entirely fair. But most of her actions the last two months have been from this demon that lives inside of her. So Needy sacrificing her friend Jennifer is kind of at the expense of just saving the world from this demon, this boy eating demon. But like she does have to kill her friend that's in there as well. I mean yeah. that's how I read it, and it is a little, it is bittersweet in
0: that moment. Oh, absolutely! And they do a really good job. They didn't need to, you know, follow the scene up with anything, but they show Jennifer's mother entering yeah. and seeing oh, right. this happen and collapse. And Needy's like shock at what she's done, and like the kind of also grief like a there. glee, like a, like a relief, but then yeah. like an understanding of the reality. Like this is someone's child that she had to kill. Yeah. So after this, we see uh, Needy in solitary confinement. And she says, most occult scholars don't know this, but if you're bitten by a demon and you live, you might just absorb some of the demon's abilities. And we see her like levitating out of solitary confinement. 100%. Breaking out of the mental institution. Those are the rules of demon-ness. I don't know what to tell you. And then while hitchhiking all right so i painted a pretty clear picture of me reading the script on my ipod touch but what i did not touch on uh was i played this song on there was like an app that was basically guitar hero for ipod touch
2: you see the the directions
0: yeah where you would just like like tap it yeah i
2: remember
0: that i had this song i purchased this song and um coconut records oh no yeah coconut oh we were just talking song? about jason schwartzman in the car the other day you know he's like related to fucking he's a coppola
2: i did know that somewhere deep in my brain
0: The coppolas are everywhere nick cage is a coppola you're probably a coppola hell you know who else is a motherfucking coppola since i referenced princess diaries it's going in that dirt not her but the hot boy with the bowl cut from princess diaries oh
2: mike michael
0: yeah the one like who the- plays the piano
2: her her husband, the one that, the pizza
0: with the M&M's. The, ooh, I could do the label-free. Him. Oh, yeah. He's a Coppola as well. Sure, why not? I'm just to myself. Lee, are you a Coppola? I don't know.
2: Guess we'll have to find out.
0: <laughs> Anthology.com. What is it? <laughs> Anthology.com. <Ancestry.com. laughs> uh Okay, so while hitchhiking, Needy finds the bowie knife that Low Shoulder had tossed into Devil's Kettle. And she gets a ride from Lance Henriksen. Do you know anything about Lance Henriksen? No. Okay, so Lance Henriksen, uh, you might notice him from a bunch of horror movies. He's also in Dog Day Afternoon.
2: (gasps) Oh, love that movie.
0: Mm -hmm. He was actually the character of Terminator, that's played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, was written for him. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And funnily enough, I was was looking him up because, you know, I was just interested in his work. And his early life is really interesting. He started in acting because he was a carpenter for sets, like theater sets. And he was asked to like audition for something, but he was functionally illiterate. No, Mm -hmm. no way. So in order to perform, he would have his friends like... Record themselves saying the lines and then him practicing the lines with them. So every time he did a production, he knew everybody's lines, like wow. front to back. So he's like Leah Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> He is the Liam Michelle of horror films. Absolutely. He gets one line in this where he's like, Where are you going, little lady?
2: <laughs> you know, I knew he was someone, though, because the way they lingered on him, I was like, This guy? All right.
0: He's getting as much screen time as her mom. Exactly. He must be Amy Sedaris level famous. Yeah. Uh, so. She gets in the car with Lance Henriksen, and she tells him that she's heading east. And she says, I'm following this rock band. And he says, must be one hell of a group. She said, tonight's going to be their last show. Let's go. Get them, bitch. Kill them.
2: On top of all this, we get our good for her revenge story.
0: Good for her. And I'm so glad that they put the murder in the credits. Oh, with
2: the photos. It's, I thought, I love that. It's such a creative way of doing that.
0: Yeah, so we we get, like, a mixture of flash photography and, like, hand-cam footage of low shoulder at the peak of celebrity being chased by fans and paparazzi into a hotel, and we see very quickly after. A murder scene. They meet their demise.
2: Needy reven- avenges Jennifer's demon death, finally. So you know she cares
0: about Jennifer. Mm. She breaks out of that prison and is like, I know exactly where I'm going. You're so right. Like, she doesn't want to kill Jennifer. She kills Jennifer because Jennifer's off the rails and killed Chip. I think at that point, Needy understands there's nothing I can do to stop this demon. Yeah. But if you think back to, you know, her bedroom where Jennifer is telling her this tale of being sacrificed, that's her best friend. Yeah. So that doesn't just go away.
2: No, absolutely. She avenges her death. Like, that is the end of the story. That's where we leave Needy. And I love how they used images and photography and this kind of like found footage element over the credits for the final scene in the movie. I've always said the credits can tell you a lot and can be used to like a really higher extent in a film than they, than just like words over images. And, and this is a perfect example of that. Plus yes.
0: with the Blondie song over it. Absolutely incredible. So there's a deleted scene of. Low shoulder playing at the prom, and they're doing a cover of "In the Flesh." So that's oh. you, you're hearing their cover of "In the Flesh" when they're, you know, when Needy is murdering them. I can't find that on the internet anywhere, so that's the reason that you didn't hear it. But yes, it's a cover of a Blondie track, and just incredible, incredible song choices through the whole movie. Whew. So Lizzie, we're out at the end.
2: What do you oh, think? How you feeling? I, we I love this movie. I'm we have really truly been wanting to do this movie since even before we knew what to call this motherfucking podcast even before we knew we were going to do a podcast we knew we wanted to pay tribute to this movie somehow i feel great i love this movie so much more than i ever could have at the beginning after finally getting to air every thought i have in my head about it out (laughs) with you you did such a good job of leading us through this as well like you wove
0: all the elements so well and to bring our friends into it is so sweet. Thank you so much. I mean, before we, you know, wrap this up and get into reception, Lee, I want to know, like, how do you feel about the movie in its entirety? How are you feeling?
3: Love it. I think like, as soon as I finished watching it, I messaged you both. I was like, you don't need to hear it from me, but this is a stone cold classic it's an amazing movie
0: that's high praise lee
2: <laughs>
3: lee only watches the coolest fucking movies that's
2: true if we can finally get a movie that's like lee's like oh yeah fucking awesome i'm like yes it's lee our, approved like the venn diagram of our movies with lee like the middle is like the
0: cream and the crop we took a break earlier to eat dinner and i asked lee have you seen music and lyrics <laughs> of course not <laughs> that's my next goal is to make lee watch music and lyrics oh my god um but as we were saying earlier this film was Incredibly mishandled at market, and that had a huge, huge factor in the critical flop that this film had to endure. Uh, with a budget of six, me, with a budget of sixteen million dollars, it went on to gross thirty-one point six million. Which you know, when you think of flops, that's not really like, it. That doubles, wow, yeah, doubles. But that coupled with the harsh critical reviews from mostly white, mostly older men was basically the kiss of death for this film and it was a
2: temporary kiss of death was it not
0: very very short-lived but i mean short-lived took about 10 years for people to get on board but folks who loved this film and saw it when it was released know that deep in our souls we always knew this was a good fucking movie the resurgence can be attributed to a lot of different things but what people like to peg it on is you know the me Too movement which happened like lizzie was saying in 2016 which really contextualized the systematic abuse of women in Hollywood and it forced Hollywood, whether it liked to or not, to atone for all of the hardship that it put on women, just like Megan Fox for basically existing and being beautiful or just existing in the first place. And since then, you know, Hollywood has been forced and I say forced because they would like to say they did it willingly, but we all know the truth, to diversify uh, across production, across casting, and also across critics. You know, and so now that more people of color, queer people, women are critics, we get more honest reviews of films like this and they're not cast out so quickly as it was in 2009. And I really want to read a review that came out right after this film's release. There's rumors on IMDb about like a sex scene that was shot and removed or maybe written and removed. I don't think that actually ever happened. I think these were just rumors. It's not in the script, but I would like to read from you a review from 2009 because it's just like a time capsule of how shitty people were. So the review is titled "No Lesbian Makeout Sex Scene in Diablo Cody's Jennifer's Body Script." Is someone <laughs> trying to generate press, or has film been perverted? Question g- mark. G- sit down. <laughs> uh, he's referencing the the makeout scene that, like I said, wasn't in the script, but is in the film. He said, "But here's the thing: there's no such scene in the script. So is someone fibbing to generate press, or has the script changed to accommodate such a titillating scene?" Probably the latter, but that would suck because it wouldn't be keeping with the tone of Jennifer's body, at least not exactly. Without giving away a lot, there is quite a bit of sexual tension in the screenplay between Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried's characters, but wisely, it's never consummated. It's hinted at a few times, but perhaps director Karen Kosama wasn't thinking subtly was the way to go. Or perhaps she directed one too many L Word episodes to let the opportunity go. Yes, Fox is titillating. She admitted to GQ magazine that she had a teenage lesbian affair with a Russian stripper. Maybe she asked for the scene herself.
2: Like, I don't know for what publication this critic was writing, but I feel like critic reviews and even to an extent box office numbers don't hold the sway over the success of a film like they once did. Because a film can be super successful in the box office and still be like a cultural flop, quote unquote, and that it won't carry forward and be rewatched. Whereas a movie like this that is like so rewatchable and so timeless and carries forward in a way that that's like we grade this movie at at a standard that we grade movies now I believe like when I talk about with you like oh I've heard this movie is good you think I'm fucking talking about the guy at the New York Times absolutely not I'm talking about the handful of people on Letterbox that I really care about plus like the general public on my Instagram and Twitter and TikTok pages you know like we have taken the The power out of voices like this guy in 2009, whoever the fuck this guy is, and giving it to the people who see themselves in Jennifer, who see themselves in in Needy, and who see themselves in Colin, and letting those voices speak to how we feel about the films. And it's way more varied now, and that's why you'll hear about every movie you go see that it's the best movie and the worst movie of the year, you know, like you're not just getting this single unified opinion from everyone in Hollywood all the same time on RogerEbert.com.
0: Yeah, you're you're so right. I mean, Me Too has forced Hollywood to to diversify and you know, they've they really dug their heels in the ground, especially with Harvey Weinstein. And now that people of minority have voices and are standing in positions of power, films like this don't get overlooked so easily. Mm-hmm. And while it was difficult for Diablo Cody, Karen Kasama, and Megan Fox after this, which you've heard from to grapple with how commercially unsuccessful it was Diablo Cody says now currently uh, I hear more about this movie than any other project I've worked on if hmm. somebody stops me it's always a 22 year old who wants to talk to me about Jennifer's body to me that is the coolest thing in the world I don't think you could legally see this movie when it came out and you found it wow yeah i i couldn't legally see this movie when when it came out when i was 13 i had to like sneak in and find it and it's just goes to say that like this is such a classic for no other reason that the people who see it love it but the society wouldn't like actually be pushing this movie on you
2: yeah and like i stand that if jennifer's body came out like next friday you know as a halloween release 2022 it would still be a hit but i think almost the fact that it was buried and slushed under this marketing that is so obliviously obtuse to what the movie's actually about it just really speaks it, it is like a time capsule of sorts to where we used to be and how much further we have to go cuz we're not anywhere near the representation and diversity that we that actually emulates what humanity is like so i hate to say but like Jennifer's body was kind of like the martyr for I think the movies that we can easily go see in theaters now. Yeah. You know, like we had the Baba Duke after that. All these movies are getting the just desserts that they need and the just the accuracy. Like see these films for what they are, not for how you can sell them. And it sucks that they had to seemingly fail, quote unquote, in order to do that. But I'm glad that we're able to look back and be like, no
0: shit, that is shit is a classic. Dude, it's mint. Like mint. it's you can't touch it. It's yeah. fucking perfect. I'm so glad it remained unscathed. Even the the fucking execs at Fox couldn't fuck with this edit <laughs> enough to make it something that it wasn't. Yeah. That's a real testament to Diablo Cody. So Lizzie, I don't know if you remember it, earlier in the episode, but you asked me what Diablo Cody's real name was. Mm-hmm. And it's Brooke. And I think that we can interpret this film as like a binary. Are you a Jennifer or a Needy? Because they're so on opposite ends of the spectrum. But she actually said that now she views those characters as different sides of herself
2: absolutely it definitely reads like that like this is the same personality just split between two bodies in this weird contradicting and complementary way I love
0: that. I love that interpretation. So Lizzie, I'm gonna show you a clip from that same conversation of Megan Fox and Diablo Cody, where Diablo Cody explains why she thinks of herself as a needy, or a Jennifer, or both.
6: What I was really basing it on was myself, because I was going Mm. through this transition in my own life where what I I really am in real life, if we're gonna use Jennifer's body characters as a metaphor, I'm a needy, Mm -hmm. okay? Like, I am a bookish, insecure, cowardly person. Mm -hmm. And I had created, and my real name is Brooke. And I had created this Diablo Cody persona to sur- to survive and to-, to get attention, which is something that I desperately needed at that time in my life because mm-hmm. nobody ever listened to me. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly when I changed my name and started doing uncharacteristic things, suddenly for the very first time in my life, people were interested. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Lizzie, before we end this episode, I do have a question I'd like to ask you. Okay. Are you a Jennifer or are you a needy?
2: I think a better question to ask is what do you think I am? <laughs> Because we have to judge our friends here. I think everyone in this room is a needy. Yeah. Do we know any Jennifers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I asked this question to our incredible, incredible guests who chimed in this episode, and it was unanimously needy.
1: Well, I felt like Jennifer... Jennifer's a murderer. Like, <laughs> I
7: don't... <laughs> uh, I'm probably a needy. I would say I'm
5: more of a needy. Oh, I'm, I'm a Jennifer Sun Needy Moon.
4: <laughs> Inside all of us are two wolves. So that is to say, I'm totally a needy.
2: Damn. I guess if we had Jennifers, they would have like eaten us alive by now. So Lizzie,
0: now we're here. Oh, God. We're we gotta at put s- numbers to it, huh? We're at the fucking score. So Lizzie, can you explain the scores? How the subtextual score works is we each grade the film
2: on how gay is it and how good is it on a scale of one to ten. We then average those to get a single subtextual score.
0: Yes, we do. So, Lizzie, how gay is this movie? So gay. Um, like a nine. I would agree. I would agree. We don't see actual gay sex, but we see a lot Everything more than Everything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Lizzie, how good is this film?
2: I'm also gonna give this a nine. I could even give it a 10. No, fuck it. I'm going to give it a 10.
0: I'm going to give it a 10 I too, enjoy bitch. this
2: movie so much. Every time I watch it, it just, there's a whole another layer to it every time.
0: Yes, it gives this film an overall subtextual score of 9.5. Let's fucking go. Obviously in our
2: top 10 overall movies, right? Where does it fall in the top 10 ranking? Yeah, it's number
0: four. Let's go. And only because we don't see gay sex, but- hey. It is better than some of the other movies on there. True. And you'll hear more about that in our anniversary episode where we round up all of our top best and our top worst and the current rankings of those films. So please tune into that next month when we talk about that.
2: Our one-year anniversary. One years old. Baby turns one. So exciting.
0: Okay, Lizzie,
2: any any last words? Just want to say a big fat thank you to all of our friends who took the time to... Give their thoughts on this movie and to anyone who pressed play on our first extravaganza, we will be doing more.
0: Yes, the big hitters will be in the extravaganza format. So again, like as Lizzie was saying, thank you so much for listening. We're almost a year old. This is such a delight for us as people who could talk about Jennifer's body for probably seven hours straight. (laughs) We've been in this little room a long time. Yeah. So I'm really, really glad you guys are listening to this. And um, we just love you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Happy Halloween. And we'll see you in November. Normal month. Normal month. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep this content ad-free, please consider supporting us at patreon.com subtextualpod. See you next week.